Hi everybody, it's August 1st, 2019, and it's time for my private audio call tonight. We have a special guest speaker by the name of Kevin Haddock. Kevin, welcome. Nice to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, would you? Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, well, I've been a uh, proper litigator and uh, fighting the, the evil powers that be both in the courts and in the media and uh, just about every way I can think of for about 30 years now. Um, it started uh, started back when I, I'm a software and systems engineer and I stumbled into this little robotics programming language and I ran into a lot of uh, libertarians and they kind of sparked my interest in politics. Um, they were the language was kind of a minimalist language and so they kind of gravitated towards a minimalist political philosophy like mm -hmm. libertarianism mm -hmm. and um, then I uh, uh, then my ex uh, in the early 90s uh, went to law school and I helped her study and uh, attended uh, her study groups and so forth and I got my whistle wetted a little bit for law and what I found was uh, what they were teaching was pretty shocking compared to what I knew the little bit that I knew about the founding fathers and libertarianism and so uh, that's when I really started deep cycling on it um, I remember going to a lecture of uh, Richard McDonald um, who was, I guess, the guy who kind of spearheaded the whole state citizenship movement back in about '93, and um, then, uh, and then, like I said, I started really digging in deep, and uh, I'm pretty good at studying and reading large volumes of material, and then being able to assemble it together. Because basically, as a computer programmer, when you come to a business or whatever, usually people will give you like boxes of scraps of notes and receipts and whatnot, and then they want you to write a program to, uh, you know, to implement that system, to, to put some kind of system on the chaos that they bring you. And so you have to be really good at being able to you know, zero in on what's important and what's not important. And they say that, um, People are slow bungling geniuses and computers are fast, accurate idiots. So you have to be able to reduce things down to something that an idiot could uh, execute in order to get a computer to work properly. So um, anyway, uh, then I guess uh, other than just doing battle a lot in courts and trying a lot of different things and uh, uh, including some of Zeke Lehman's things. I, I know Zeke. Uh, I'm from the Butte County, California uh, area. I just got burned out in the Paradise Campfire here a few months ago. Um, yeah, he's anyway, been on our show. Right. Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. I I didn't. I wasn't on when he was on, but I have listened to the uh, archives uh, since then. Oh, um, good. Anyway, so um, about the time that. Uh, commercial redemption came out I guess that was in like uh, 99 98 uh, I went to the Diogenes Society meeting which I was down in uh, like um, Huntington Beach or something like that Ron Lutz um, 
he ended up going back to Cleveland and getting in trouble for writing some site drafts uh, to a Cadillac dealer. And I guess he's probably still in prison uh, shortly after I attended his meetings. But um, anyway, the whole commercial redemption thing came out. And um, my ex and I had broken up uh, the last year of law school for her where they got into the commercial law. So I didn't get a chance to really uh, learn that. And I was trying to wrap my head around the whole concept of what does accepted for value actually mean. And, uh, and so I, uh, I bought a 47 foot trawler down in San Diego and I motored it on up to Walnut Grove. And I spent the summer just, uh, I bought a, as many law books as I could, uh, business law textbooks as I could get my hands on cheaply. And I spent the summer just, uh, fishing, drinking beer, swimming, and reading law. And I really wanted to understand it, get to the bottom of it. And when I was doing that, uh, something just jumped out at me, which I believe what is the mechanism by which the Federal Reserve essentially creates money. And, um, and I, I kind of condensed that into a process that I called the negotiable instruments revolution. Um, in a nutshell, uh, whenever there there are uh, two, there's an infinite. Let's see, there's an infinite number of instruments in the world, or, or or contracts in the world. But there's only two kinds of evidence or instruments evidencing contract contracts. There's negotiable and there's non-negotiable. And basically, what it means is, if it's negotiable, it means that the monetary value can be severed from the underlying agreement and circulated as if it were money. And, uh, the, and what happens is when the instrument is transferred or that value is transferred to a, to a innocent third party purchaser, then the purchaser with very few exceptions gets to buy what it appears he was buying on the face. In other words, the subsequent purchaser has more rights in the instrument than the original parties did, okay? And there's only a few exceptions, which are called real defenses, that are spelled out in the Uniform Commercial Code, uh, UCC 3-305A1III. And those defenses are essentially bankruptcy, infancy, um, for, what they call real duress, which literally means somebody unholstered their gun, pointed at your head and said, sign this or I'll kill you. Um, and then there's one other defense and that is, uh, and then there's illegal contract, which the courts have determined to mean gambling and usury. That's it. Um, and then there's one other defense and that one's called fraud in the execution or fraud in the factum or fraud in the essence. Uh, and that is where you uh, have, don't have an opportunity to investigate the fundamental character of the instrument to wit, is it negotiable or not? Like, uh, let's say you're running for a train and you've just sold me your car and I'm, and I'm say here, sign this bill of sale and you don't have your, and you sign it and instead you find out you just deeded me your house. Now, um, it's my contention, and I've done a fair amount of, of court work to this uh, extent, 
that almost everything is negotiable. Uh, the uh, and and the, the thing, the operative thing to think about here is that that all the defenses that we like to think we have available, and I, I'm, I'm referring to Randy was uh, called in last show or two, and he was talking yeah. about his new defense of how much fraud is a person expected to be, uh, right. you know, to suffer and whatnot. He's um, on the call. Okay, good. Well, I wanted to, <laughs> one of the reasons why I wanted to call in because because when you're dealing with a what they call a holder in due course or this uh, innocent purchaser for value, almost all those defenses go right out the window. Okay, there's mm -hmm. two species of fraud. There's fraud in the execution and there's fraud by inducement. Okay, and okay. fraud in the execution means you're running to catch the train and all other species of fraud are that fraud by inducement and that is not a defense against a negotiable instrument okay so um so for example you know when i deal with a confrontation with police uh you know one of the first places i want to go to is is the most likely outcome of our little encounter here today the execution of some sort of a contractual instrument such as a promise to appear in court and they usually will say yes, and then I say, okay, um, is that instrument negotiable or non-negotiable? And they'll say, well, I don't know. And uh, we had a case in 2000 called Dickerson versus U.S., which reaffirmed the Miranda decision, which stated that um, it stated that um, uh, uh, that you have a right to court-appointed counsel at every stage of an officer's investigation including before you give him your name. Matter of fact, Rehnquist wrote the decision of the court and he said any lawyer worth his salt would tell you to tell the officer nothing until he got there, okay? Now, one of the aspects of, of this, this uh, negotiability and the fraud in the execution is that if you had the opportunity to investigate the instrument and you failed to do it, then you waived it okay so i don't think the supreme court was trying to do us a favor and protect our due process rights with dickerson versus us i think what they were doing is they were trying to make it so that they would foreclose your your most significant defense and really basically your only defense which is to be investigating the fundamental character of that instrument or the negotiability of that instrument and and if you don't ask for that attorney and it's not to be represented by that attorney. In fact, the, the attorney really needs to be there to answer the cop's questions uh, so that he understands that getting to the bottom of this negotiability is very important, okay? Because, for example, where did you agree to fund the economy with your appearance in court? And uh, I go into a lot of that in detail. I don't want to do that all on this call. Um, I have a like six hours of a seminar that I put on in Chico, California back in 2005 online. You can find it at the URL, uh, tinyurl.com slash nirevolution. I'll put it in the chat here for people. Anyway, so... Um, Was that nirevolution? Yeah, negotiable instruments revolution is what okay. it stands for. Okay, right. and um, 
the audio quality is not the greatest, um, but uh, someday hopefully I'll be able to redo it. Um, one of our um, one of our people that uh, used to be kind of our chronicler of our local Patriot community, Frederick Earl, died here uh, last year, and then shortly after that, his house that had all of his materials in it. I mean, he was literally the biggest collector of Patriot legal and audio materials, all burned up when the fire came through. So that was a tremendous loss. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry that I, I'm actually kind of glad that he died before he got to see it all burn up, though. That was actually kind of merciful um, because yeah. he had collected his entire life. Uh, oh, man. Anyway. Heartbreaking. And, yeah. Yeah. And he had a he had a radio show uh, that broadcast all over Northern California for for about a decade. Uh, Freedom's Questions uh, started out as Veterans Forum uh, on our local um, uh, public broadcasting radio station here. So anyway, uh, and he had some more audios of mine. I've been on his show a couple of times uh, trying to spell this all out. But, but you can go to that and you can get the gist of it. Anyway. Uh, Are you a bar member? No. I did not ever, I could probably take the bar. Um, I, uh, uh, you're uh, better you remember, off without it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, here's my idea. If I was to go that direction. Um, They'll take is, it away from you. So why would you even bother? Well, there's, there's two parts <laughs> of it. You see, you got to understand there's two parts. There's passing okay. the bar exam, okay? And yeah. then there's applying for admission to practice. Okay. Right. And okay. you can just take the bar exam and there they can't take that away from you. That shows you you know, you know, you you've studied enough to pass a test, basically. Right. Yes. But when you do the admission to practice, that's a different thing. Now right. the now the, the thing is that they're modernly not following the law regarding the admission the admission to practice. Mm -hmm. uh, you're supposed to have like uh, two letters of um, of uh, recommendation of good moral character attached to your application, and just the whole process they're doing is not lawful. Okay, so they're uh, so if I were going to do that, I would make sure that when I made my application to the California Supreme Court that they did it right. Okay, because I think they're they're intentionally. They intentionally create defective things. Okay, um, for example, um, um, uh, Article 60 and 61, I think maybe 62 of the Magna Carta, talk about what is a grand jury. Well, a grand jury consists of 25 people, but here in California, our grand jury only has 23. Okay, now why would they intentionally create a defective grand jury? Well, maybe because when a grand jury hands down an indictment or presentment, it's only, it's not really a grand jury, it's just a, a club that's making a recommendation that the DA can either choose to obey or, or ignore. Okay, I mean, there's always these seeds of defect uh, sowed into the law everywhere you look. If you know what yeah. the real law is, then you can look and you can see all the screwed up stuff that they've implemented, okay? And so, um, anyway, so I, I just kind of put together some kind of random thoughts that I've had. I, I didn't really, I didn't really um, give put a lot of structure to this, but I wanted to get some things out there just for uh, conversation starters potentially. Um, one of the things that um, 
I discovered is that almost all of your court hearings and your uh, town council meetings and what have you in California are actually uh, inducements to riot as per the California Penal Code section 404 and 405. And that means that they're not lawfully, uh, almost always not lawfully convened uh, properly. Um, they, for instance, if you put in your proper administrative notices of defense and your administrative um, uh, uh, requests for uh, discovery and what have you, they'll pretty much just run right over the top of you. And, uh, and so because the ultimate outcome of this unlawful assembly is to, for people to go out and, and, uh, and commit violence, you know, to take your property or to throw you in jail or what have you, it perfectly matches the definition of a riot, okay? Now, um, there was a case called State XRL Miller versus Smith, in which um, a gentleman uh, had been driving down the road in like a pickup truck and he got pulled over by the cops and he went and hit, it was kind of a tall pickup and he went and hid underneath the pickup. And um, the cops, you know, couldn't drag him out from underneath it. So they maced him and then they dragged him out. And so the guy went and um, and he looked up the, the material safety data sheet on the mace and the uh, factory uh, you know information and and it said that it should be considered to be a deadly weapon because you know somebody might have a, a go into shock or something and they could end up dying by being maced with this stuff and so. He went and confronted the DA. Uh, he saw. He said it was unreasonable for a police officer. It would have been unreasonable for a police officer to pull out his service revolver and shoot him out from underneath the truck. So uh, the uh, so in, so it was also unreasonable for him to mace him to get him out from underneath the truck. Well, the DA basically poo-pooed the whole thing. So the guy said, "Well, screw you. I'm going to go talk to the grand jury." And so. Uh, before the guy could get to the grand jury, the DA made a beeline over there and said, hey, there's this whack job. He's going to come over here and tell you a bunch of stories. And I've already reviewed his information and he's an idiot. So just ignore him. And so the guy uh, did a mandamus, I believe, or something to that effect uh, to curtail the DA. And what the court ruled was that anything the DA says to the grand jury other than giving, than, than examining witnesses under oath, giving court supervised instruction could rise to the level of obstruction of justice. So uh, we basically have, and, and you know, I've looked at the codes over and the codes are fairly clear on it, that, that we have the, the absolute right to bring criminal complaints to a magistrate, the, um, the, the basis of discretion is, you know, of probable causes. They're more than likely a crime was committed. Is it more than likely the accused had committed it? And then the magistrate makes a finding and he issues a warrant or a summons for the arrest of the defendant. And then they bring the defendant in. And then the same kind of hearing happens again called a commitment hearing where, it's, where 
they examine the evidence once more, and then they set bail based on the likelihood for him to appear at trial, his past criminal history, and the seriousness of this offense. And then the, the, the thing has to proceed. I don't see anything in the code that allows for, um, uh, for plea bargains, uh, that uh, plea bargains fall under the category of, um, of extortion. They're perfect, they're a perfect fit for extortion. And the only way, once the complaint has been filed or a grand jury and the probable cause and hearing's been had and the commitment hearing's been had, the only way that the prosecutor can get out of prosecuting it is to file a null prosecue motion, which basically the only basis for that is, is there or is there not enough evidence to convict? So um, matter of fact, another little thing about criminal trials and whatnot in California is that um, we have two sources of law. We have God and we have man. You have the common law, which is God-sourced law, and we have the, the civil law, which is man-sourced law. And um, there's an interesting aspect of that is that, um, is that uh, the common law, the, the legal technical difference between the two is that other than the, the origin or source, is the common law recognizes persons as separate from things, but the civil law only recognizes things. And a, kind of an interesting uh, insight into that was when we first invaded uh, Iraq, uh, I was watching the TV and they had some uh, news reporters on there and they were talking about Saddam Hussein and how he envisioned his citizenry and they said, well, Saddam Hussein uh, perceives that all of his citizens are his property. And that is your very typical civil law style, like Roman civil law style state, where the monarch or the emperor is a law unto himself. And then underneath you that, you have the peerage. And then underneath that, you have the serfs or the unwashed masses. And so the emperor just makes whatever he just passes down policies and um, and he does he's not held to them and um, uh, and I think it was Owens versus city of independence that said that uh, the king can do no wrong that was something that came out in uh, when the Magna Carta was passed well what it meant it didn't mean that the, the courts have perverted that into meaning oh it's government immunity and the government's a sovereign and it and it can't be, it, can, it has to consent to being sued and so forth. But what it really means is that now the king can do no wrong. Okay, he's now under the law along with the rest of the peerage. So um, anyway, uh, that's, uh, we have a lot, we had a lot of power, but, but the problem is that these courts are, uh, these courts are, are not in the most fundamental way, at least the one that I have here locally, a court of record. And uh, for example, on two different occasions, I have caught our local court actually allowing the other side to inject post-dated pleadings into the record. And I have gone down there and asked for a certified copy of a case docket and they refuse and they have no excuse for why not. I mean, the first part of court of record 
is that they keep enrolled filings and enrolled pleadings. That means that when the pleadings were submitted to the court, uh, you know, the, the date, the time, what was filed, uh, by whom, in what case number, was recorded in ink on a big scroll of paper. And so for each term of court, it would be very difficult for somebody to go back and inject a backdated pleading into the record because they'd literally have to like rewrite the whole roll, the whole scroll all over again, okay? Now it's all just put on a computer and anybody can change it. And so if you can't go down and get a certified copy of the case docket, so that you can prove not only what was on file as of a certain date, but what was not on file. For example, if you're going down to take a default on a complaint, um, then you don't have a court of record, okay? Uh, we just spent $65 million on a new courthouse. And I've been really tempted to go to call a press conference and go down there with a podium, a gavel, a flag, a couple of bound books, an ink pen, and a seal, and say, okay, these guys spent 65 million and they still don't have a court of record. I spent a couple hundred bucks and I've got one. What's wrong with this picture? Okay. Uh, but anyway, so everything they're doing there is void. They're not a court. They're just a bunch of you know uh, clowns giving their opinions a thing and 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 conducting riots because they send out their armed cops to uh, to execute their orders uh, when they're really nothing. I mean, so, um, and after 30 years of litigating, basically I've come to the conclusion that we only have one power left in court, and that is to get higher court to write a decision. Now, it doesn't really matter if it's a good decision or a bad decision. Both can be very effective because a, a good decision, well, you can... Uh, and I'm talking about a published decision, a good decision, you know, it can help save a lot of people, okay? Uh, a bad decision can shock people to the point where, you know, they wake up and realize, oh, you know, hey, this is a meat grinder and we're all going down through it. And maybe they'll or just, you know, decide to go to revolution. Um, unfortunately, not too many people really pay attention to decisions, but um, I will have to say that after the 30 years of litigating, uh, a friend of mine and I, we did manage to get one published decision and some people have managed to rely on it to get a little bit of relief. So all the 30 years of fighting have not been completely in vain, but you, you have a, you know one bureaucrat that signs a piece of paper and it can take a patriot an entire lifetime of litigating to get that signature removed from that paper, you know. Um, so I've had to come down to what compromises winning. People go, oh, I won my ticket or whatever. Well, I, I think we need to be specific about what our terms mean. And when we say winning or we won, I think we need to set that as a minimum standard of you must get paid for all of your time and lost opportunity. You must get the individuals responsible to pay, because otherwise, just it's just passing it on to future generations and other taxpayers. Uh, you must be able to go very public with it so as to provide a path to long-term future change. But we're just going to be dealing with the same shit over again next week. 
one of the reasons why the powers that be put the administrative law in place is so they didn't have to write precedents so they could keep harassing people with the same nonsense over and over again. I mean, even the same exact parties. Um, now, there's a lot of good stuff in the administrative law, but the, generally the powers that be ignore it. And it's kind of a tough road to hoe to battle it out with their complicated administrative mandamuses and what have you. Um, so uh, another thing that I wanted to bring up is I see that there are basically two types of patriots in the world. And uh, the first one I call the battered wife syndrome patriot. And uh, that's where we say, oh, well, the government's coming after me because I did something wrong. It's kind of like the battered wife, you know, the husband gets home from a hard day's work and because, you know, and he beats her up and she thinks, oh, it's because I didn't have a nice cold beer, you know, sitting by on his nights on, on, on the uh, table next to his easy chair so he can sit there and watch the football game, okay? And then she corrects that thing and then the beatings start again and she's always trying to second guess why well so we have all these different theories of the the zip code and the all caps name and getting a social security number and da 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 and i've never had a judge ever assert one of those things as being the reason why uh matter of fact it almost always comes down to procedure okay um the word nation uh, derives from the same origin as the word natal, and pregnant, and nature, and it means springing from the same source. And uh, when you have a, uh, and, and there's another maxim that goes, um, where nothing is base, nothing can be sufficient. So basically, if you have like a Buddhist and a Hindu uh, or uh, uh, you know, a Catholic, they can sit there and argue about the, their core world views and values all day long, and no amount of evidence will really be sufficient to convince the other of their position, okay? So you have, uh, you have two types of law. You have substantive law and you have procedural law. Now, if you have one nation, if you have one people that share core values, then if there's ever a dispute, they can just take it to one of the elders of the community and they can just look back in their customs and traditions and analyze it through their own value system. And they can just come out and say, okay, this guy's right and this guy's wrong. And it's a substantive uh, resolution. Nobody needs to be an expert in any kind of procedure. But if you have a multicultural, multinational state, then you can't really do that. What you have to do is you have to have some sort of a trial by combat. And in, in this instance, it's trial by combat of legal procedures. And, and unless you happen to spend all of your time studying legal procedures like I do, then uh, you uh, end up in a situation where uh, you, uh, you end up in a situation where uh, you have to hire a champion, okay? And, uh, the, and then we're talking lawyers, and the law school professors openly admit that their job is to be there to screen people out so that very few people pass so they can keep their prices up, 
Okay, they don't want there to be too many lawyers out there. And so they make it arbitrarily difficult. Uh, and so, and, and if everybody ended up having to study all this legal procedure on, the, on their own all the time, well, who would raise the crops? You know, who would fix the bridges? You know, who would patch people up in the hospitals? I mean, you know, so it, it's really important that we go, that we try to return to a, to a substantive law form a, um, uh, and get away from this trial by combat. Uh, but and the other thing about a trial by combat is that you need a martial law state in order to implement it because there has to be some higher authority who, um, who is, you know, refereeing the combat. And uh, then the problem with it is that whenever you have that higher authority there, well, they may not share core values with either side. And so they're all, almost always gonna get their way. And that's exactly the model that we find ourselves in right now. We, ha we have these crown agents here who are, who knows, God knows what, Illuminati, Masons, uh, uh, you know, there's a dozen different names for them, but, uh, Basically, they're a secret gang, and they almost always get their way. Uh, you know, some and if there ever is where they have no no policy or no uh, uh, influence one way or interest one way or another, well, then you might be able to go into one of their courts, one of their uh, coliseums, and do battle, and maybe you'll get you know some kind of fair outcome. But right now, they're sticking their noses into just about everything that we do. They almost always have a policy one way or another. And so they've basically politicized the courts with these secret policies. So now, as far as the battered wife syndrome, um, there is an ancient law which almost perfectly matches what, if, if the battered wife syndrome theory is correct, that it's because of something you signed or something that you did, like receiving a piece of mail or what have you. Um, there's an ancient law that almost perfectly matches and describes what it is they're doing. And I call it false piloting. And it's described in the uh, Rolls of Oleron at Article 25 and 26. Now, the Rolls of Oleron was an ancient law discovered by a French princess back around 1000 AD. Uh, she brought it from Babylon back to Europe, and it became the foundation of all of the laws of admiralty all over the world. So um, anyway, here's article. I'm going to read it to you. It's Article 25. Okay, Article 25 and 26. So here it starts out 25. It says, if a ship or other vessel arriving at any place and making in towards a port or harbor set out her flag or give any other sign to have a pilot come aboard, now, in those days, just like modernly, a ship shows up at port, they bring a pilot in who, who has knowledge of the local waters and whatnot to help drive the ship in the last little bit into the harbor or to the dock or whatever. So that's what that means. Or a boat to tow her into the harbor, the wind or tide being contrary and a contract being made for piloting the said vessel into the said harbor accordingly but by reason of an unreasonable and accursed custom in some places that the third or fourth part of the ships that are lost shall accrue to the Lord of the place where such sad casualties happen, and also the like portion to the salvers, and only the remainder to the master, 
merchant or mariners, the persons contracting for the pilotage of the said vessel to ingratiate themselves with their lords and to gain to themselves a part of the ship and lading, do like faithless and treacherous villains, sometimes even willingly and out of design to ruin ship and goods, guide and bring her upon the rocks, and then feigning to aid, help and assist the now distressed mariners are the first in dismembering and pulling the ship to pieces, purloining and carrying away the lading thereof, contrary to all reason and good conscience. And afterwards, that they may be more welcome to their Lord, do with all speed post to his house with the said sad narrative of this unhappy disaster, whereupon the said Lord, with his retinue appearing at the places, takes his share, the salvers theirs, and what remains the merchant and the mariners may have. But seeing this is contrary to the law of God, our edict and determination is that notwithstanding any law or custom to the contrary, it is said and ordained the said Lord of the pl that place, salvers and all others that take away any of the said goods shall be accursed and excommunicated and punished as robbers and thieves as formerly hath been declared but all false and treacherous pilots shall be condemned to suffer a most rigorous and unmerciful death, and high gibbets shall be erected for them at the same place. Uh, I'm going to comment here, a gibbet, if you don't know, is basically like a birdcage, and they hang the person up in the birdcage until they starve to death, and their bones uh, get picked clean by birds. Um, it says, or as high as conveniently may be, where they so guided and brought any ship or vessel to ruin, as aforesaid. And thereon, these accursed pilots are with ignominy and much shame to, their, to end their days, which said gibbets are to abide and remain to succeeding ages on that place as a visible caution to other ships that shall afterwards sail thereby. Here's Article 26. If the Lord of any place be so barbarous, as not only to permit such inhumane people, but also to maintain and assist them in such villainies that he may have a share of such wrecks. That said Lord shall be apprehended and all his goods confiscated and sold in order to make restitution to such as of right it appertaineth. And himself to be fastened to a post or stake in the midst of his own mansion house which being fired at the four corners, all shall be burnt together. The walls thereof shall be demolished, the stones pulled down, and the place converted into a marketplace for the sale only of hogs and swine to all posterity. Wow. So that <laughs> is what they deserve if that's uh -huh. what they're doing. Because they have told us, oh yeah, let us guide you through these treacherous waters and boy, when you're in high school, you're going to need a social security card so you can go get a part-time job flipping burgers. And you're going to need a driver's license so you can go and, you know, uh, and drive to work. And you're going to, and they told our parents, you're going to need to have a, a birth certificate or this child's not going to have any life whatsoever. He's not going to be able to function in society. Well, in my book, these people, if this is the basis upon which we're getting this kind of tyranny, then, then this is perfectly matches what these people are advising us to do. They're false pilots. 
okay? They're there to wreck us on the rocks and then take our cargo. Um, the same punishment was given to uh, pirates. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so, you know, our, our forefathers didn't mess around with this kind of nonsense. Now, uh, the other they kind of pirates... <laughs> they are pirates, exactly. Yeah, yeah and, they're, and, and they're even flying an admiralty flag, so, you know, I think... They're flying they, the skull and bones, too, inland. Yeah, yeah. So, now, here's the uh, the other kind of patriot out there. The, the first one was the... Um, was the, uh, uh, the battered wife syndrome patriot. And the second kind of patriot, uh, I call the meet him at the door with a loaded 44 patriot. And that kind of patriot, I would uh, talk about like George Gordon and Rick Schramm and myself, I do this too. And that is to just go and engage them in every possible way in court, in the media, wear them down, uh, you know, uh, don't spend too much time worrying about, you know, what we may have done. I mean, but for one thing, okay, let's look at the psychology of this, okay? We, you, you go in and you say, well, if I rescind my driver's license or I do this or I do that, then all of a sudden this person is going to honor that, this judge or this cop or whatever, they're going to honor that. Well, it wouldn't, an honorable person would not have set up this trap to begin with, okay? So there's a fundamental flaw in the reasoning behind the, the battered wife syndrome patriot, okay? Uh, you know, so it, 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 at best, it's just going to be a temporary solution. And I think that they, the powers that be have, they probably have, I mean, they have a great network, okay? And they, they may have had a theory and they go, oh, well, some patriot stumbles into what our theory was. Okay, well, we'll let them win for a while, and then we'll come up with another theory or whatever. And I, I think they're getting to the point now where they don't even give a crap anymore. I mean, here in Butte County, we had a fairly active patriot movement, and we were giving them hell for a long time. We even got a sheriff out of office, okay? But we didn't completely eradicate them. It's like... Um, it's like, you know, you go get an infection and you go to the doctor and he gives you some antibiotics and you're supposed to take all the antibiotics till they're gone to make sure you completely kill the infection. Because if you don't, chances are it will mutate and it'll become resistant. OK, and that's what we have is we have a resistant. We have a resistant uh, situation here, uh, probably most places around the country. And that's because. We are all focusing like a light bulb instead of a laser beam. Okay, we we share this information amongst each other, and then people go out and they try to try to implement it themselves. Okay, and they have no idea the kind of uh, I mean, we're talking about statecraft that goes back potentially fifteen thousand years. Okay, uh, when I was younger. Uh, I, they, they tried to um, uh, recruit me into the Illuminati, and that was one of their claims, was that they had an unbroken knowledge of history going back 15,000 years. So this is what you're up against when you go against them, okay? Uh, and I believe that. I've seen enough over the years to believe the, the truth in that, okay? Uh, 
So the average person going in in onesies and twosies and throwing them on the themselves on the sword in court is not going to be effective. Okay, you're not going to stop the the new world order by being the the ooze between its tanks treads. Okay, you got to get up on top of the tank and drop a grenade down the hatch. Okay, and so that's where you know that's the the the, the psychological trap that we painted ourselves into by doing doing things the way we've been doing is educating ourselves and and trying to resist okay um now this uh link that you shared um uh i was hoping that we could play it but uh anyway um the um this was a patriot nurse uh she's a lady on on youtube that uh really breaks it down to brass tacks and that you know right now we have bolsheviks infiltrating our system at every level and uh and they're getting violent okay i mean they were always there but since trump got put into office um they're you know the 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 velvet glove came off of the iron fist now and we're seeing the iron fist uh people that have a high sense of entitlement and they uh you know and and if we're, they're being pulled off the teat uh well they're going to start lashing out at everybody that you know tries to pull them off the teat so uh, and but but it's become institutionalized to a tremendous level uh and I would recommend everybody go and listen to, there's a book review here, I have it somewhere. Oh yeah, the Antifa Handbook. And uh, let me see if I can bring that up and I'll paste it in here. Um, it's a fellow by the name of Bray and, and he's the one that um, has basically started all this uh, violence. He's a college professor, of course, and uh, he, uh, okay, let me see if I can figure out how to bring this up. And he, um, and he basically is saying that, well, if you can ever look to the past and see a, um, a group that, um, that has turned out violent, ultimately, uh, then any other group that is discussing any part of what that other group discussed is should be seen as potentially violent and needs to be violently disrupted at its inception and they use like the nazis you know when the nazis first got started there was only like a handful of them okay and then they grew to take over the whole country so uh anyway they um yeah here's the link here um and so they've extended that to everything now i mean they are talking about uh any sort of geez just about any sort of uh endeavor that you might take on that they don't see as politically correct where'd you put uh, the link well i'm trying to find hang on a second <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit confused here because of um oh here we go i got two okay here it is here it is okay you have to have one tab open for the audio and another tab open for the uh, there you, so there you go. Okay. okay. All right. So. Thank. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm, so this is kind of new to me. So uh, even though I'm a software engineer, I'm still I still can get confused once in a while. Okay. So um, so I think that it's a, probably be a really good idea for us to physically separate ourselves from society. I mean, random people are getting violently attacked. And the cops aren't doing hardly anything about it because the cops are are basically controlled by these same Bolsheviks. Matter of fact, um, there's a, uh, a documentary that's really good that you should watch um, uh, called Plutocracy, and they talk about all always all throughout history, the cops have been on the side of the elites. Okay, they're bought and paid for, and we really can't really expect them to be doing us any favors, um, at least not until we really get serious about uh, public relations and, uh, and getting through to them. And uh, that's going to be a difficult situation. So... Let me see here. Um, let me see if I can find that plutocracy. I'll try to paste that in here too. Well, maybe I'll paste it in later. As I, I have an outline here, so I'm slowly going through it. Now, <clears throat> I had an idea some years ago for how we might be able to do this physical separation. Uh, one group that's done it is the Free State Society, and you know they wanted to all move 5,000 activist families to New Hampshire, and they've basically done that and they've made some good you know, progress you know like for instance they got a law passed that said that uh, you can inform your jury um, about uh, their right to nullify bad law okay um, that was really good As a matter of fact I was going to mention in California there was a law uh, I think it was in our 49 Constitution it says in criminal actions in libel the jury can rule the law as well as the facts well libel is a comes from the civil law okay so basically when you're mala prohibita crimes you have that right to inform the jury because that's the source is man not God now we can't go tell the jury you can nullify murder or kidnapping or rape Okay, can say, oh, you can inform the jury that they can nullify, you know, that uh, you can't smoke pot. So, uh, because it's the source of the law determines what kind of law it is. And that was their, the lawyer's way of, you know, of, of in a very technical way saying that. The law of libel, now the law of libel is not just about a defamatory publication, okay? It's anything that you do that has a tendency to interfere with your, with with other people's uh, ability to have friendly intercourse with their countrymen or to conduct business. And in Admiralty, your initial pleading is called a libel because anything that the, for example, that the crew did, you know, if they mocked the captain behind his back or whatever, well, that would that would uh, uh, tend to make him look bad in front of other captains and in front of the shipping company and the people that would want to put cargo on his ship. So that is what the law, that's what libel means. Um, now, one thing that I've looked at, one way to focus like a laser beam 
would be what I call the pin. And think of like a push pin. Uh, it has a point, has a shaft, and then it has a little handle for you to you know, push it. And so I see that uh, we, have, we have our hardcore litigators, hardcore engineers, whatever, that are on our side that have a lot of skills, okay? But generally not a lot in the way of money, especially if we've been you know, at this for very long. And then we have a bunch of what we might call groupies, people that are with us in spirit, that don't have the technical abilities to maybe effectively uh, do it themselves, uh, but they're behind us, okay? And then we have the unwashed masses out there who basically don't know about us. And what I see is that, and so the, the, the hardcore people are the point of the pin, pin, the groupies are the shaft of the pin, and then the unwashed masses are the giant thumb that could push on that handle of the pin and use it to pop the balloon, okay? And so if we could focus our attention on, on, on team building the hardcore people, okay? And there are specific techniques for how you build these teams, okay? You can do what's called a SWOT analysis, which means strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Everybody sits down and they write down those things and then they share them with each other. And then they go, oh, you have this weakness? Well, I have this strength. Oh, you have this threat? Well, I have this opportunity. And you can get this, the team to help take care of a lot of each other's problems, okay? And they can learn to work together. There's also another uh, test you can take. It's called the HOTS test, hare, owl, tortoise, and squirrel. It's where um, uh, hare is a personality type that is the ideal man, okay? Uh, the owl is like a college professor or engineer type. You give him an idea and he can figure out all the little nuts and bolts and bells and whistles to make it happen, okay? Then the, the, the tortoise is your naysayer. It's a person who uh, is always going to find all the flaws, okay? And then your squirrel is a person you can put a big pile of work on their desk and they're just going to whip right through it, okay? And it's important that when you get your team together, you do that personality analysis on those people because... Uh, in order to conduct your initial meetings, what you want to do is you want to take the tortoise out of the room because that way the hare, the owl, and the squirrel can get together and brainstorm on the ideas and get the ideas so they're pretty well worked out before you bring your tortoise in to pee all over them. And then you got to take the tortoise back out because if you have the tortoise in in the beginning, then you're never just going to get off the ground. They're going to pee on it before it even gets a, a fire gets burning. Okay. And so these are important techniques that are not law related, but they're just human nature related, they're CEO related, uh, uh, startup type of techniques that are really important to bring in to this initial team, okay? And then the people that are the groupies could go out and do things like spread the word, do fundraising and what have you to really energize the, the, the head of the, the point of the pin to really accomplish something. Okay, and so an, a, an aspect of that whole thing is that resistance costs a lot more than compliance. Okay, we end up with people, they're having code issues, their driver's license is suspended, they have child support, they have all these different things that are bogging them down. Okay, and they're spending way more money and spiritual energy and time trying to fight 
than they would be if they could just be brought into compliance. And then maybe then they could like contribute half of what they'd be saving towards an organization like the PIN, okay? So that the team could actually strategically go and try to accomplish something like, for example, getting a, 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 a published ruling, okay? Or like, for example, something I'm gonna bring up next. So one way that we could help get people into compliance is to have a, essentially barn raising parties where we take the whole group and we go around to each person once a week and we say, okay, what's your issues? And then we all work on trying to do it. Just maybe we need to just all get together and help the person clean up their yard or cut their lawn or, or whatever it takes, okay? But then when everybody is in, in good shape, and I'm not saying that the goal is compliance, the goal is definitely not compliance, but, but compliant, you gotta pick your battles, okay? And, and it's good to start by streamlining things and then strategically pick something everybody get behind one thing like let's say we want to wreck the whole concept of having to register your car okay let's get all of our attention on that let's totally destroy that and then everybody can benefit from it okay mm -hmm. now um we uh uh and then what you know we can cookie cutter that all over the place now um one of the other things that i was thinking about i was in on rusa uh, the uh, old Tim Turner uh, re-inhabiting the Republic movement, and he was uh, we, he was trying to basically take get the majority of counties in the whole country to be quote unquote settled, which would mean you'd get 13 people together, which would be enough to have a quorum to form a grand jury, and then you could actually place the, that county back into the Republic, that it would have some governing judicial body to uh, uh, to re-inhabit it. Okay. And um, of course, you know, they're going to do what they do is to attack the individuals. That's your rules for radicals. They attack the individuals that are involved. They don't attack the organization directly. They always go after the individuals. And so um, so I was looking at that. I'm thinking, you know, no, that's the wrong approach. And, and I keep I don't know whether it's patriots or not generally um, like startup people, strategic or what have you, but that was a half-baked idea, okay? A smarter idea would be to take all the people that are that were interested in the Republic, and let's say, let's take over one county, okay? And let's take over, for example, the smallest county. Now, in California here, our smallest county is Alpine County. It has a population of about 1,200 people, okay? And most of those people, and it's actually quite seasonal because most of those people work at the one of the two big ski resorts there in Alpine County at Bear Valley and Kirkwood. Um, and so if we could take, for example, and move 200 people there, okay, and each of those 200 people could get to know a dozen of the locals, okay, and convince them and sway them to our way of thinking, even just some small significant percentage of them, we could then maybe get a sheriff elected, okay? Or maybe we could even convince the sheriff that's there, okay? Once you have a sheriff, then if the local government is, is uh, out of control, like the courts, the judges, the DA, uh, the sheriff could do what's called convening a sheriff's court. He can completely end run the, uh, the judicial system and convene a sheriff's court and start having trials 
for the people that are that are in government that are rogue okay and um and so uh now i um the and then once that county was established well then we have a place a sanctuary that patriots that are in a serious world of hurt could move to and get a little relief okay and then uh, we can take what we learned there and we can go up to the next biggest county down the next biggest county in California is Sierra County now Alpine County one of the problems with Alpine County is it gets buried in 20 to 30 feet of snow of snow every year and it's actually the roads are shaped like a big V and during the winter time you can't go from one side over to the other where the county seat is because they don't plow it you got to drive about 70 miles just to get from the county to the county seat that's only 10 miles away um but um but sierra county has something very interesting first off i heard the other day the sheriff said something that made me really think that he might be approachable okay that he might be a person that uh, could potentially be on our side and uh, i can't remember what the specifics were but i thought oh yeah hey that guy he sounds reasonable and um and what sierra county did is they just brought in fiber optic internet 40 gigabit internet into their community they want to try to become like the next silicon valley to bring in programmers and high-tech people and they've got a beautiful climate uh they've got a lot of empty land they've got uh, uh creeks and places to go hunting and fishing and uh and the outdoor activities and so what we learned from alpine county maybe we screw up alpine county and then we could cookie cutter it over to sierra county and then we could just keep moving our way up to the bigger and bigger counties and taking these counties over, targeting the office of sheriff first, okay, and then and then and then having a community of people to support him and take him over until we could get like maybe we could get California from the grapevine north, okay. Now California from the grapevine north could actually be its own separate country. It's got a warm water port. It's got fantastic farming. It has a nice physical barrier with the mountains all around. And, uh, and we already have uh, this whole uh, uh, state of Jefferson movement that wants to break it off. Uh, so, the, so thinking in those kind of terms, uh, starting small and then working our way up could be a very powerful strategy. Now, uh, another thing that I, that I thought about uh, a while back is uh, we really need a government services consumers union. We, according to the government, we are the, they're the service providers and we are the consumers. Okay. Well, now there's a very interesting section in the California Civil Code, section 1671. It's hard to read unless you're a lawyer, but I'm pretty close to one, so I can kind of read it. And what it says is that liquidated damages in consumer contracts must represent the actual out-of-pocket cost of the provider and uh, that they carry the burden of proving that, that it's their cost. And, if, and anything over and above their cost is void, not voidable, but void. It means it's forever no good, okay? So an example of the, where this got caught is uh, with uh, like cable bills, your your TV cable bill. Maybe your TV TV bill is fifty five dollars a month, and if you don't pay it within the first ten days, they put on a five dollar penalty. 
Okay. Well, that all got found to be unconstitutional or, or illegal under this section because um, they did not include a, 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 the proof that that was their out-of-pocket cost. But, so they had to send out another letter. What's that cost them? A buck? Why are they charging five bucks? It's all done by computer. Okay. So, um, so those, those fines were found to be void. Okay. Well, it's the same thing with, with, uh, with the government, with traffic fines and all that. Now they're trying to say, well, you're a, you're a courier. You're not an end user. Well, I'm sorry, but I've never had a judge come forward and say you're a courier. Okay. He knows damn good and well that 99% of everybody that comes through traffic court considers themselves not to be a courier and that their driver's license is a mere certificate of competence to control their private automobile going down the road. It's not a courier's license, even though it may technically be a courier's license. Okay. But, but the fact is that, you know, we don't have any consumer protection for uh, uh, the little guy. Matter of fact, you can't buy insurance. From my understanding, you can't buy insurance against government wrecking your life. That's another thing. We, we maybe we should have a, a set up an insurance company so you could buy insurance to, against being framed and and uh, uh, viciously attacked by government over nothing. Okay, uh, vehicle code forty two thousand three. This is California. Everything I do is California. Sorry for those of you that are out of state. Vehicle code forty two thousand three, uh, section C through E. Uh, Fines cannot be for any more than you can afford to pay. Right there, that's an extremely powerful thing that if we could just get people to know that if you're poor, okay, and you can't afford to pay a fine, they can't make you pay a fine. Matter of fact, in California, virtually every state of the union, we have what's called exempt property. That means below a certain amount of property, you cannot be, you cannot have that property taken in a judgment. And it's like here in California, it's like one car worth less than $2,500. It's like $1,500 in cash. It's like your your tools, uh, your household stuff. And depending on your age and your disability, it could be anywhere from $50,000 to $200,000 equity in your home. Okay. And when a levy officer is coming after you to, to seize some of that property, you can hit him with a declaration of exemption, of claim of exemption. And the instant that touches his hands, he loses jurisdiction. And the only thing you can do is go back and take that back to the judgment creditor or the person that's, that's claiming the levy. And that person then has to go to court and defeat the claim that what was being taken was exempt. Okay, well, I think most people out there are are pretty much in that category especially people that are you know would be the kind of people that we'd be talking about uh people that basically don't have more than their tools of one car much equity in their home and whatnot if we could have a paper that we hit the cop with as soon as he comes up to the window of your car boom i'm exempt from from i'm claiming exemption i'm too broke to even give you my id <laughs> go back take it back to whoever is claiming and make them disprove it go to court and disprove it and it and, and because of the bankruptcy of the united states i believe that these debts are all basically a pre-existing debt they're trying to collect the interest on the national debt well the interest on the national debt was created by altering negotiable instruments like traffic tickets to put a little interest payment on there uh, out of thin air the, in the instrument's been altered and so that has now accumulated into this massive the debt 
And so I think it does match the, uh, the status of a levy. Uh, all, these, all these things are coming after us. Now, um, another little piece of interesting information that I found out is that most of the offenses aren't arrestable offenses. For example, here in California, Penal Code 836, it says an officer can arrest for a public offense committed in his presence. Well, it doesn't say any, it says a. So the pregnant question is, which one? Well, the cop would like to say, well, that a, that means any. Well, and that's not what the statutory rules of construction say. Matter of fact, there is a, uh, a maxim of law that says where something is expressed, everything else is excluded. So we go right to penal code, the next one, which I believe is penal code 836.5, and it spells out several things you can be arrested for. And throughout many different codes, there's it takes tells you specific things you can be arrested for. Now, any cop that's been on the force for any length of time will probably remember when they first brought on the seatbelt law. And when they first brought in the seatbelt law here in California, they admitted that they could not arrest you for that that they could write you up for it if they arrested you for something or if they pulled you over for something else, but they would not pull you over just for that. Well, now they've changed their policy, but that would solidify in their mind that there is such a concept as a non-arrestable offense, okay? And so, and basically your arrestable offenses, or, or arrest, things you'd be arrested for is a, a warrant, which has to have a, a embossed seal, uh, and an affidavit of probable cause of the victim of the crime. It has to have um, uh, be signed by a judge, uh, and uh, then it also, or it ha or uh, then the next thing would be a, a sus reasonable suspicion of felony. Um, uh, it would be a breach of the peace misdemeanor that you're not likely to cease committing unless you're arrested, if it's committed in the officer's presence, um, or a um, uh, or uh, been involved in a traffic accident or drunk and or under the influences of, an, of uh, drugs in and about a motor vehicle blocking the road. Those are your basic categories of arrest. And that means that they can't even pull you over uh, without one of those things. So first thing out of my mouth is why have you arrested me whenever they pull me over? I just go straight, I just ask them, have you quit beating your wife yet type of question. Why have you arrested me? Presuming that they know that they've arrested me. When they say, oh, no, you're not under arrest. Oh, well, then what are your, uh, or then I say, well, did we have a, a appointment to meet here today? And he says, no. And then I say, well, I don't have any time for any unscheduled appointments. Uh, go ahead and have your people get a hold of my people and set something up. Goodbye. And then I try to leave. And then he says, oh, hold on. You can't leave. You're being detained. I said, oh, well, what are your articulable facts which would lead you to a reasonable suspicion that I was engaged in or about to be engaged in a crime as per, for example, Terry versus Ohio. And uh, then they start giving the song and dance and whatnot. And then I try to go, are you conducting an investigation? Uh, well, I want to talk to court appointed counsel at all stages of your investigation as per Dickerson versus US, which we affirm the Miranda. I'm sure you got the memo on that and so forth. Anyway, um, so uh, let me see here. Uh, when you're ready for some questions, Money Mike okay. has his hand up. <laughs> okay, well, I'd like to uh, get a few more things. People, write down your, your questions so you don't forget. Because uh, okay. I'd, I'd like to try to get through this. Um, the, um, 
Rach versus Gonzalez, when we talk about commerce, okay, and there's a case called Rach versus Gonzalez. It's right here out of Oroville, California. Um, uh, it was about the statutory construction or strict or liberal construction of the Commerce Clause. Uh, Rach was a lady who had a uh, medicinal marijuana permit uh, recommendation, and she was growing like 99 plants, and the feds came in and grabbed her marijuana. Their local DA and sheriff just let them do it. Um, and then her husband's a lawyer, so I think this was a setup case, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and they said, well, we're going to construe the Commerce Clause liberally in order to, um, uh, be because, so she was growing her own pot, so therefore she wasn't buying it off of a drug dealer who could have then transported it from another state or from a foreign country like Mexico. And so therefore we say she affected commerce. And so um, we, we, the feds can come in and regulate it. Okay, well, that's some real stretched uh, 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 logic, okay? But there's, um, let me tell you, I just wanna hit you with the statutory construction concepts, which is um, uh, statutes, Penal statutes and statutes that are contrary to the common law are to be strictly construed under the common law. In other words, if it says a person is corporation, trust, partnership, or blah, 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 and it doesn't say a human being or a man or a woman, then you're not a person, okay? That would be under strict construction. But under liberal construction, that could stretch the meaning of the word person to mean uh, a human being or a man or woman. Well, how do you know whether you're strict or liberal? Well, if there's a victim, then it's liberal construction, okay? If there, if you are a trustee, there's liberal construction. Almost all of our California codes have a section four that says um, that, uh, that says the rule of common law that penal statutes are to be strictly construed, has no application to this code, it's to be liberally construed to affect its objects and promote justice. Well, then you go, so it sounds like you're screwed, it's always liberal construction. But then you go down through the cases and the annotated cases and you see a case called Odo versus Hetty, and it says where private rights are concerned, the statute still has to be strictly construed, okay? So what we have a problem with here is commerce is really the word commerce means international or or interstate okay if, if the commerce happens strictly within state boundaries it's called trade it's not called commerce and you can see that pretty clearly in like black's fourth dictionary just go look up those words in there and so if you can be out of commerce well now one of the things i think that gets us into commerce is um use of federal reserve notes Okay, but uh, Dave Merrill did a really good video on how to break the presumption of that the Federal Reserve notes are not U.S. notes or basically backed by silver and gold, which would put them in trade. So, um, so that would be uh, a, an important thing to understand is, um, and, and, I, and I, as a little war story I had in court, uh, I was fighting a traffic ticket way back in like 94, and I went in in front of the judge and I had a judicial notice motions. I had about, a, oh, about 20 of them. And they were worded like, I request the court to take judicial notice that there's no current evidence before the court, nor any judicial notice taken that. 
And then it had things like any of the acts or omissions alleged to be committed or omitted herein happened anywhere but on the dry soil, on the land commonly known as Butte County, California. And then uh, that uh, I was not involved in any uh, uh, maritime trade, that uh, there's no declaration of war or emergency and so forth. I went all the way down. So I went through them and the judge gladly took judicial notice of each one. And then around number 13, he stopped. And the number 13 was that I want to take judicial notice that I am in no way a trustee nor fiduciary of the public trust. And he said, well, I don't think I could take judicial notice of that. And then I whipped right through the rest of them and he took judicial notice of everything, every other theory I could think of. Okay. And so, uh, and then it was kind of interesting. He thanked both me and the other attorney. He said it would have been a most interesting debate, argument back and forth. And he said he hadn't had to look up the term mark and reprisal since he was in, since he was in law school. Uh, but one of the things that he didn't realize is he just admitted to treason if that was the basis of his ruling, because I just had him take judicial notice that, you know, there was nothing involved in shipping. And by international treaty, market reprisal had been limited to seizing of commercial property on the high seas. You can't just march across on the land and grab the other nation's citizens or subjects to get uh, uh, satisfaction for any debts. So, um, Anyway, uh, another thing I want to bring up real quickly is we have successfully beaten traffic tickets by treating them like a check, going into court and demanding at the clerk's window, demanding the return of the instrument. Um, that derails them, which is more confirmation to me that they are actually a negotiable instrument because a negotiable instrument has to be returned. Um, so let's see here. Um, I guess uh, I guess we could take a question. I've got some other stuff that's kind of along a different subject, but hopefully we don't get too far afield here. So go okay. ahead. Okay. All right. First up is Money Mike. Go ahead, Money Mike. You've been unmuted. Hello. How are you all doing today? Good. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, quick question. Uh, I'll backtrack a little bit. Uh, you talked about them Bolsheviks. Uh, I assume you mean I assume you mean all them governments and stuff against us, but um. My original question I was going to ask originally was, uh, you know, if they work better in numbers, but uh, that's obvious. Uh, my, my question would be more like, uh, do you got to be a real mastermind to like, uh, you know, deal with these people, even, you know, even in the nicest possible way, uh, aside from, you know, pulling the trigger and shit? <laughs> you mean like in court? Yeah, like that. In the, yeah, in the courts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... um. It's not for the faint of heart. Let's put it that way. I mean, uh, well, I, if it's just uh, a court, then yeah, I, I, I won't yeah. do no trigger pull, and I promise. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay, Simon. Put the uh, yeah, put it all away. We're not going to do that today. All right, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but um, I, you know, and this is what I've kind of tried to reduce it down to is to say, okay, first off, one of my fundamental concepts. Right from the beginning, when I got into this, remember, I'm a software engineer and I take a just a vast amount of information and I try to look at the core principles and concepts. Okay, well, one of my one of the things I realized early on is we need to try to save everyone we can. Okay, the the whole patri a large part of the patriot community has all been about, well, we just got to educate everybody in law and then everybody can go in and defend themselves. Okay, well, there's a 
lot of people that are just never going to be able to do this effectively, okay? And that doesn't mean these people couldn't be allies and, and, and advocates for us. And uh, matter of fact, when um, a friend of mine and I, uh, we got this, um, this uh, sheriff out of office, um, it was because uh, in his jail, this young black man had been killed by the guards. And uh, then they tried to conceal it and cover it up. And then we found out that three weeks earlier, a young black girl had been, also been killed by the guards. And, uh, and they had totally concealed that. And so uh, what happened was we, um, we really made a big stink about it. We had a, a public access TV show at the time that went into 12,000 homes an hour a week. Uh, and we were exposing all kinds of local corruption. And so um, the, uh, uh, one of the people that got a hold of us, which I thought was kind of unusual, was the uh, local assisted living people. And there are people that you know help people who are invalids or injured or mentally retarded or whatever, and they basically can't function. And you get this scads of volunteers and whatnot that get together and try to help their life move along so that they can just basically function, you know, so they can maybe get themselves down to the store, you know, or whatever, and uh, maybe live on their own in an apartment just with somebody coming in a couple times. Well, on a number of occasions, this person that everybody put all this effort into had had an encounter with police and, you know, they'd get the crap beat out of them and all that work would just be right down the drain. They'd be in the back, in the same place they were uh, a long time before. So, um, so it, it is, you know, I think we have to be our brother's keeper in this regard and we need to come up with solutions that are, we're kind of stuck in this rut of just study law and, you know, try to revoke your whatever and, you know, be a battered wife, you know, sit down and, you know, don't stick your head up. But uh, I think we need to take a new tack now. You know, I'm into this 30 years and I generally don't see things getting better, okay? Uh, matter of fact, I think our numbers have diminished, uh, even though I think more people know about this than ever, um, I don't see, like, we don't really have any organized meetings. The meetings we have around here are all- That's because the fear level has increased. People are more afraid now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, they, well, they, you know, cracking down has worked for them. Okay. Because they're doing rules for radicals and rules for radicals are, you know, you don't attack the organization, you attack the members that make up the organization. Okay. I mean, if they wanted to break you down, if they could find a way to break down the cells of your body, eventually you're broke down. Okay. You go after the constituent parts. You have to read, was it uh, uh, Rommel and Patton? Okay. And uh, Rommel was running around just kicking Patton's ass in Northern Africa during World War II. And, um, and he, uh, his strategy would be that he'd wait to find a few tanks that were straggling behind and then he'd hit them with this overwhelming force because Rommel didn't really have that many tanks. So he had to use whatever he had effectively. And eventually uh, Patton beat Rommel and they met after the war. And, and Rommel says, how did you beat me? And Patton said, I read your book. He got... Rommel had written a book, he got it brought over to America, had it translated, and he read it, and he figured out his strategies. Well, we need to read these guys' books, okay? Rules for Radicals is one. The Antifa Handbook is another. I mean, you know, wherever possible, 
go in and read their books and understand the game they're playing. And here's the thing. They are playing a covert war, okay? I mean, anybody who's uh, checked out the Clinton body count can see whether well, there's a couple hundred people with suspicious deaths in the wake of the Clintons, okay? They are playing a covert war. You cannot win a covert war with overt means. It's like going to a modern air war with a Sopwith camel and going up against F-16s and F-22s, okay? Uh, because basically whenever you start to stand up and you start to do some kind of overt action, uh, they're, you're going to take down the, the, uh, the key members and they're going to do all kinds of, of things. I mean, they, they're all about winning, okay? And one of the things, getting back to kind of my outline here, which is what, uh, uh, what I was talking about. So I hope I answered your question that, um, yeah, I would not really, at this point in time, recommend people getting into this law game. I mean, it's, it's maybe good to have an overview of it. But I think we're beyond it. I think we need to move beyond it because there's some very critical things happening in the world technologically and politically that uh, are going to make it uh, very difficult for uh, for us yeah. to, to keep playing this game. You know, to stay in. Yeah. The um, if we could also do it like in a real simple way, because I mean, obviously, uh, based on hearing you speak, uh, you you've been at this for a while. But uh, is that? A, but it is also just a combination of knowledge and and experience, is it not? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people go in and they say, okay, well, I'm just gonna, you know, try to get rid of my driver's license because I want to try to learn to fight on, you know, in court, learn some procedure on a very small level. Okay, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of our attitude of the way it used to be. But that's kind of like the first domino that starts knocking over all the other dominoes. And that can pretty much trash your whole life. Okay. Um, you know, they start taking your car and then you can't get to work. And I mean, it's just a total nightmare. So like, for example, um, there's another book that you guys should probably add to your reading list. It's called don't shoot the dog. And it is a book, uh, about this lady who was a dolphin trainer she wrote it uh and she talks all about behavior modification how to train animals and people around you even in a way that you don't they don't even know you're training them okay so one of the methods that she talked about was how to teach a parrot to sing a song okay so how do you teach a parrot to sing a whole song from beginning to end okay well very, very few people know this. I mean, I was in band back in high school and, you know, our band leader would just throw us the music and we'd put it on the stand and we'd just start playing it from beginning to end over and over and over again. And, you know, at some point in time, hopefully we got it before we had to play it in the parade or at a ball game. Okay. But, um, but that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to start at the end, start at like the last line. Okay. And play that over and over until you get it. And then, then, add to it the line before and what then what you're doing is you're always working from the known from the unknown towards the known and and your reward for for doing the hard part that you don't know yet is getting to the part yet that you're more familiar with so you can breeze right on through to the end okay and so you work you start at the end and you start working your way back okay so for example what would be our end if we're, we're talking court, let's say, what would be our end game? Okay, well, I think, for example, our end game would be like 
preparing appellate briefs or, or writs of cert to the Supreme Court, okay? So we could, for example, go out and you know, study all that it, that involves and go out and find somebody that's ready to go to Supreme Court and help them write their, their writ, okay? And help them prepare for that, okay? Do that end game. Another one that I thought would be really good, I mean, ultimately the goal with going to court is to get the money, okay? Well, so maybe judgment collection could be a real good area to start in. And then we've got a business that's bringing in money and then we start working our way backwards back towards the beginning all the way back to okay now let's go out and get a traffic ticket and fight it okay because you want to have you want to be working towards the more familiar part okay there was a there's a a, um, a uh, college professor down in davis his name is moeller and he's building flying cars and uh or he's trying to he's been at it for about 30 years um and what he did is he went out and bought uh all the tooling and material uh, for uh, for uh, uh, for the the Wankel engines from Evinrude Motor Co Company, the outboard motor people, and they had a nice little uh, Wankel uh, rotary engine for their snowmobiles. So he bought them all, and he did about 20 patents and improvements because he figured it was a small and compact enough motor that it could lift its own weight and the weight of a lot more in a flying vehicle and passengers and cargo and everything. So um, anyway, along the way, when he was developing that motor, he uh, accidentally or intentionally in, uh, developed a very nice tuned exhaust. Well, because a um, Wankel engine is very much like a two-stroke engine, uh, he found out that his tuned exhaust worked really good on two-stroke motorcycles. And so he spun off a company called Super Trap Mufflers. And he and, and that became another revenue stream for him that he could plow back into his, uh, into his uh, flying car venture. And see, so something like uh, a legal typesetting company or a judgment collection company could be a spin-off revenue stream that we could then use to plow it back into more research and development and do it in an intelligent fashion uh, instead of you know the haphazard uh, way that we've been doing things. So um, anyway, um, let's see. Uh, so as far as the technology is concerned, we, we are running into some technological barriers here coming up. I would strongly advise everyone to try to find a way to uh, remove Google from your life. And um, there's a lady on uh, YouTube uh, uh, goes by the handle Amazing Polly, and she did a really good uh, video on this a few weeks back. You can go back and find it. But there are some, uh, like your biggest place where you're finding it is in your Android phones. And there's a couple of uh, technologies there. Uh, Copper OS is a completely, and see Android is actually public domain, but, um, You've got to use the original. You can't use the, you know, from source. You can't, you can't use the one Google provides because they have basically spyware in there. And I don't know if any of you have been noticing, but but I would be like uh, just talking to people, uh, you know, around my house mentioning things. And I don't even have one of these uh, Alexas or anything like that. And then, uh, you know, within a day or two, stuff that I was discussing starts showing up on ads on my Facebook and and what have you and Google and stuff. So so we're definitely being spied on. 
and it would be a really good idea to get rid of some of that. Uh, Copper OS is one. If you if you don't have a phone that Copper OS could go on, FDroid is a way. It's a, a bunch of um, applications that do not invoke Google services, where most of the people believe that this spyware is happening, uh, and you can strip your phone down and then just kill all the Google services and just add F-Droid uh, applications. And that would be another good way to get rid of it. Um, anyway. Uh, One more question. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, it's Randy. All right. Go ahead, Randy. You've been unmuted. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, yeah. when you walk into any courtroom, uh, from the Supreme Court on, well, the Supreme Court, they sit uh, in bunk and they blah, 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 and they don't actually see people uh, arguing in front of them. But at any rate, uh, who is populating that courtroom? Well, that's a very good question. And I think as a point of order, one of the first things a person should ask, and I didn't come up with this, I can't remember who to credit it to right now, but as a point of order, I would call for a roll call to have the full first, middle, last name of everyone forward of the bar and their nationality and their title put on the record of the court. And okay. I've heard that can have some amazing results. <laughs> I, I want to put a little bit finer point on that. Yeah. Okay. Are they machines or are they men and women? Well, they, uh, they certainly seem to be executing a program like a machine. Right. But, are, but they are flesh and blood living men and women, correct? Yeah, yeah I, I, that's what they appear to be. Okay. Now, have you ever met a man or a woman who never made a mistake in their life? Uh, no. Well, I, well, let's put it this way. I thought I made a mistake once, but I was wrong. I was wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously. But, yeah. But seriously. Okay, so now, I was just reading this uh, thing on uh, uh, one of the, uh, uh, mail.com. Anyway, they had an article on there about how Remington Arms is appealing the Supreme Court decision that found them liable for the Sandy Hoax shooting, which actually never took place, okay, right. uh, and uh, uh, because of their uh, deceptive marketing tactics or some crap like that, because AR-15s are featured in certain uh, shoot 'em up video games. That is just so convoluted. But how did they come to that asinine decision in the first place unless they were fallible men and women? Well, either that or maybe they're using that liberal construction. I mean, they can really no, do a lot of mental gyrations with liberal construction. Well, yeah, but you see, those men and women sitting on the Supreme Court are prone to making errors. Right. They aren't gods. They're not even demigods. They're, just, they're no smarter than the average person out on the street. You can tell that because of all this stupid crap they do and these decisions they proclaim. I'd love to see an IQ test uh, done on all of those uh, men and women and find out if they exceed 104 or not. Right. <laughs> like our cops. Like the police, yes. <laughs> see? This is the culture that we're be, being forced to live in uh, of just barely above average uh, intelligence, and yet they're dictating and decreeing uh, how the rest of us uh, are to act and what our rights are, etc. But I guess, okay, but it goes back down to where do they get the power and authority to tell somebody else what to do when they are no better than those people they are trying to rule over? Well, and you see, a lot of that came from. Uh, Marbury versus Madison, where the Supreme Court just granted to themselves the authority to be the final 
determiner of the meaning of the Constitution. Yeah. You know, it used to be every public official, uh, he was the one, his oath, under his oath, he was the one to determine where his limits were and to stop, you know. And so we, and, and, and I, and I, another thing I, I bring up to cops and stuff all the time is they go, well, you know, I'm just going to do this. Yeah, but what the Constitution says that. Yeah, well, I'm just interested in the codes and statutes. And then the, the thing you want to point out to them is, well, if you got a, um, a order from your lieutenant just above you that said one thing and you had an order from your captain that said exactly the opposite thing, which one would you follow? And they go, well, I'd follow the one from the captain. Okay, so purportedly the Constitution is orders directly from we the people who are at, supposed to be at the top. So, but instead you're taking some judge or some legislator, okay, and you're taking that order rather than the order directly from we the people. You ever heard of the telephone game where you take a bunch of little kids and you put them in a line and you whisper something in one's ear and then they yeah. whisper it in each one's ear and then it comes out at the other end, it's something completely different. Well, so it's like they're, they're gonna take the, the, the truth from the last kid in line rather than just listening to what God whispered in the first kid's ear, okay? And so, you know, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. That the Supreme Court, and but you see, they did that. So now all the officers out there can be willfully blind because they can say, well, if the Supreme Court didn't say it, then I don't have to even look at the Constitution, okay? Like, yeah, I did an oath, but my oath is purviewed through what the Supreme Court says it means. Okay, but again, it comes down to uh, my question of who died and made these people gods? Well, I know. Well, well, okay. Now, where, now where, do they, down... where do they? Okay, well, let me finish. Here. Where do they derive their just power and authority over us when they are no better than thee or me, and they commit crimes? Okay, uh, I used to live in Ventura County uh, for ten years, and uh, there was a judge. I don't recall his name, but he was a, a traveling. Uh, on the Highway 126, and he got stopped at around Fillmore, I think it was. Uh, and this uh, sheriff's deputy, uh, he was a fairly new guy, only been on the force like about six or eight months, I guess, something like that. And he didn't know this judge's name. Well, evidently, this judge had been uh, stopped for uh, driving under the influence before. Well, this uh, deputy, uh, he uh, hooks the guy up, puts the cuffs on him, th throws him in the back of the, the uh, car, uh, and I guess he radioed in his name, and somebody, the dispatcher, said, whoa, hold on a minute here, uh, Spunky, uh, and so uh, they sent another deputy out there to release the, the, the judge and take him home, and actually uh, one of them drove the guy, the, the drunk judge's car, to his house for him, and they opened the front door, and they, I guess they threw him in the, in the front door, and then they dusted off their hands, and, you know, that was that, uh, but that uh, arresting deputy uh, because he didn't know that this guy had a, a propensity to drive drunk and put other people's lives at stake well he just thought he was just any other uh, guy on the street uh, and so it was a, quite a rude awakening to him uh, that they had this uh, two-tiered uh, justice system uh, in the Ventura County Sheriff's Department well I got I got a better one for you than that um, a friend of mine uh, used to be uh, roommates with a uh, L.A. County deputy sheriff back in like the 60s. And um, he uh, and I, when, when the guy would get home from work, he would tell my friend, you know, how things went at work and everything. And they're shooting the breeze one night. And and uh, 
you say, well, how things go at work? He said, oh, we went okay. You know, we had a citizen uh, get shot by the police, uh, by the sheriff. She said, oh, really? And he said, what happened? He said, well, he said, you know, uh, there's the body laying there on the sidewalk. And, you know, as happens, a whole bunch, all the cops in the area start showing up and they start, you know, comparing notes and asking what happened and everything. And then at one point, one of the cops says, well, did the, did the citizen have a gun? And uh, other, one of the other sheriffs said, I don't know, let's look. So they roll him over and there's like six guns under the body. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I Boy, don't think I need to carry this story a, on any further. Yeah, so yeah, everybody had a throwdown piece that they were willing to uh, exactly. use to make the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, and we had, a, we had a shooting here in Paradise that was very similar. I don't know if any of you have... Uh, have heard of it, but uh, it was a, a cop by the name of Patrick Feaster, and he basically uh, executed a, uh, a traffic accident victim. Uh, and you know, our stu- and and then after he shoots the guy, he starts looking around for his brass. He he, he goes over, pokes his head in the car, and then he starts looking around for his brass. And I'm sure it's because our local DA had uh, told these cops that uh, hey, if you ever shoot. If you can make it look like you just shot once, uh, it, I can make a, I can, you know, sell the idea that it was a, a inadvertent shooting because they're all trained to shoot more than once, you know, two or three times at least. And um, so for like 11 minutes, uh, the, and, uh, and it was a 45 he shot him with. So for like 11 minutes, he, the cop claims that he didn't shoot the guy. And so the all the other cops are going, well, let's go back to the last place this guy was came from, which was a local bar, and let's see who shot him over there. And then finally says, well, my gun might have accidentally gone off. Excuse me, but if the 45 goes off in your hands, you know it. Oh, and he just nonchalantly reholsters his weapon. Okay. Right. So, I mean, it's like if a 45 goes off by accident, you're not just going to reholster it. You're going to jack it all the chambers out of it, pull the magazine out, you know, jack all the shells out. And may and set it on the hood of your car, get away from it or something, you know. So, uh, so anyway, but yeah, that was, uh, and they ended up. Uh, I filed a uh, petition to the grand jury to remove the cop, the police chief, who decided that the guy deserved a ten-week paid vacation for that, rather than being fired in the ten minutes that it took to watch the dash cam video, and our local DA, who was saying, "Oh, it was inadvertent," and blah blah blah. Eventually, the motorist died. And, uh, but then uh, the moment that I filed the grand jury petition, they fired the cop and then the DA slapped him on the wrist and he got like 90 days in jail. Um, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, I can see your point. The, and, and see, the, and this is what I want to get to. One of the next things that I had coming up in my little outline here is that, uh, uh, Abe Lincoln said one time, the people are the masters of the constitutions and the courts. Okay. In other words, we're above the constitution. Okay. Matter of fact, California has some interesting law because our, our penal code 959 paragraph three, it says that a criminal complaint is only sufficient if a natural person signs it. Okay. Well, a, uh, a cop or a DA is not a natural person in his official capacity. He's a right. corporation. Right. Right. 
Yeah, and if that comes from uh, uh, Little Brown and Company, uh, James Walker's Theory of the Common Law under Civil Person. It says in, a, in the in the Chief Magistrate is uh, a, a universe of rights as a man and a universe of rights as a corporation. And the more those two universes of rights get mixed up, the closer we get to monarchy. Also, we have the Magna Carta. I think it's Article 24 that says that no bailiffs uh, will hold the pleas of the crown. In other words, uh, government officials can't be the complainant on criminal matters, okay? And I have on a number of occasions uh, gone in and refused to sign the ticket, make them take me to jail. Then they give you a contract to appear, a long form contract instead of the little ticket thing. And then when then they, they never try to use that as the complaint in court for some reason. They'll try to use the ticket. They actually can't use the ticket. There's a case called People versus Carlucci. If you look at like the second to the last paragraph in that case, it says, well, the, um, the, uh, the uh, ticket can be used as the complaint unless you object. Then they have to put together a complaint. Well, why do you want a complaint? Because you want to see who signs it. Because immediately you take that guy that signs it and you sue him in civil court for um, for abuse of process, okay? And that it's not malicious prosecution. You have to win the underlying case for malicious prosecution. But abuse of process is merely, he's he is abusing the courts to accomplish an ulterior motive. So what I charge him with is I said, he's using the courts of justice to promote his own authoritarian political agenda, okay? And that essentially should tie your fate together with the DA the deputy DA, whoever signed the complaint. Um, uh, looking back at what the framers said, uh, a Republican form of government, they, they discussed it fairly extensively. What is a Republican form of government? It essentially means, because there were republics back in those days that were republics in name only, okay? So they wanted to know, you know, what really is this thing we're talking about here? And um, he said, uh, they said that a Republican form of government is a government where the people can actually stay in control. And if you look at the, what that meant through the various constitutions that were certified Republican in form, it means no limitation on the number or type of, of weapons that you can own. Trench Cox said uh, that every fearsome weapon that belongs in the hands of the military belongs in the hands of the American citizen. Okay. And he was one of the framers who was like, you know, really big on the whole Second Amendment thing, um, that there be no paper money, okay, yeah. that uh, that uh, basically that the government officials have no authority to put their hands on us without either a grand jury indictment or presentment or a private citizen complainant, okay, that they are merely the administrators of our sovereignty and they're not supposed to run away with it, okay. Another part of the Republican form is that the sheriff is in the judicial branch and not the executive branch because the sheriff is an organic office rising up directly from the people. And we are the judicial branch. We are the judges to determine, you know, what happens. We are the ones who are but to, do, to ultimately determine the meaning of our document, the Constitution, that we gave our servants, okay? And, um, uh, and so it came from uh, after... Um, for those of you that don't know, um, the, uh, after William the Conqueror beat uh, Harold, the King of the Saxons, um, he was marching forward. That was in 1066. He was marching forward, and 
the local uh, communities learned about it and they quickly got together and elected a representative to go forward and meet uh, Williams advancing armies and try to negotiate home rule. And that was each Shire in, uh, elected their own guy and he was called the Shire Reeve, which eventually became the office of sheriff. Okay, so now all these post-Civil War constitutions that I know of, they moved the sheriff over under the executive branch, which now makes him answerable to the governor and the president and so forth. And so that we need to, that when we're talking about a sheriff, you know, of course he wears two hats. He wears one with the corporate administrative government and he wears the other one of the common law. And we need to get a sheriff who fully understands that and knows that when we give him orders directly, those are the orders, okay? And uh, so he could convene a sheriff's court and throw the DA and the judges and everybody in his jail if necessary. Okay, so, um, and, and if we can't get one of the, recruit one of the existing sheriffs to do it that has a backbone, well, then we need to get a Patriot elected sheriff so he will do it. Uh, and uh, so, um, let's see, and, and then, see, there has to be consequences for, uh, a bureaucrat or you know that just puts a paper and creates some tyrannical law that takes some patriot a lifetime of litigating to get rid of and like for example the ancient Greeks had a rule that when a legislator proposed a law he had to stand on a box with a noose around his neck hang you know from the rafters and if the law didn't pass the box got kicked out from under it so I mean, I, I, I find it amazing that these ancient civilizations that we might consider barbaric uh, had a lot of this more, figured out a lot better than we do nowadays. Um, so, okay, well, I've, got a, I've got a question for you. All right. Yeah. So now, uh, how, how do you view the legal system? Do you feel that it's uh, fair and unbiased? Oh, no. Okay. So let me uh, go to uh, my favorite book of all times, uh, Black's Law Dictionary. Open at page 468, section G, and there's this word in here, gambling. Making a bet. Such occurs when there is a chance for profit if a player is skillful and lucky. A play for value against an uncertain event in hope of gaining something of value. It involves not only chance, but a hope of gaining something beyond the amount played. Gambling consists of a consideration, an element of chance, and a reward. The elements of gambling are payment for a, of a price for a chance to win a prize. Gambling is regulated by state and federal statutes, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now, okay. is the legal system anything different than gambling? Well, they will try to tell you that, oh, a pro-per won in here, you know, last month. No. So, you know, how, how are we supposed to know? And I, oh, I, I oh, remember wait, I listened wait. to your to your your talk here a few weeks ago, you know, where you laid some of this out and, and let me, and, and I get back to the same, to the same point, which is where nothing is based. Nothing can be sufficient. Okay. These people consider this to be their plantation. Okay. And, and their farm and you are the cattle. Okay. Right. And so now, and I've actually had them come flat out and say, well, this is a monarchy. I've had judges say that on really? the stand. Oh, yes. Okay. So, I mean, you know, America has been recaptured by the, the crown agents. Okay. They just haven't fully disclosed it yet. And there's a really good uh, mini series. You can probably find it on YouTube 
uh, called America with a K. And it was about like eight, six or eight hours long. And, and most of it was like, it was like flying, you know, it was hours and hours of, of uh, mind numbing boredom, boredom punctuated by moments of stark terror. Okay. Well, this, this movie was, was like that. It was like, you'd listen and a lot of it was really boring. And then every once in a while, they'd say something that was really profound and you go, oh my God, what did I just hear? Okay. Because it was about martial law rule and how a foreign power had come in and infiltrated the government. And then it has, it was, you know, it had turned all the government officials into sock puppets. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, but, but and this is essentially what we're dealing with here, but, you know, we do have something potentially different now that we haven't had pretty much in my, most of my adult life anyway. And that is we have, uh, at least a president that gives lip service to some of our values, okay? And if we were to make a strong push right now for a, a, a grassroots push to force through some of the policies that he either states he wants or should want, uh, then we, at least we don't have somebody on the other end who is blatantly uh, you know, not even really giving lip service and, uh, you know, would, would, would just let a military crackdown happen. And the thing is a lot of, I, I, online, a lot of people are saying, oh, Trump's just a puppet. He's just a shill, da, 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 he's a con artist and whatever. And, and, but, but all their supposed evidence is just innuendo. And I keep digging and digging and digging. And I said, well, he's doing these other things here. He's torpedoing agenda 21 and he's da, 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 da. Why is he doing all that? And, and it ultimately comes down to, gee, I think we need to test him. I think if, we, if he is a shill, we should know it sooner rather than later. And if he's not, this is our chance to get our country back, finally, you know? So, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I, I asked a, I once asked a judge, uh, well, <laughs> I, I used to do what's called a flag motion, where uh, I, uh, when a, a hearing was like there was a traffic ticket or something, and I did a lot of traffic ticket stuff. Anyway, um, so I uh, I would set an appointment, a, a hearing date prior to the date that the person was supposed to appear on the ticket, and I'd do a motion for a flag of peace, or in the alternative, a contract for a flag of peace, and I basically said that. Uh, someone's going to come forward. He's going to receive this contract, or, or you know, and the, we're going to discuss whether there should be a flag of peace in the court or not, and uh, and whether the judge, if he's not going to put a flag of peace in there, whether he would sign a contract to be agree to be personally liable uh, that it is a flag of peace and so forth. And I went into the court, and the judge said, he said, well, when you go to Burger King, you gotta expect Burger King food. You don't expect McDonald's food at Burger King. In other words, he was basically saying, well, we're this corporation and you you want a different corporation, you know? And then I told him, I said, well, are you meaning to tell me that this court has no greater moral authority than what grows out of the barrel of that man's gun pointing at the bailiff? And he said, well, better questions will not be asked nor answered in this courthouse today. And he wouldn't answer. So this is when you start asking these things, these guys are really good at at avoiding the question 
going right to the end game, skipping right. it over. I, I've got yeah. hundreds of hours of courtroom time. Okay, so right. you know. Right, but again, you know, you're playing in a rigged up casino. Oh, so absolutely. How so how do you actually expect to win when you're going in knowing that the game is rigged up against you? Right. And that's where, and that's where we, um, we get down to some of the stuff. So let me finish my little presentation okay. here and then you might have your answer because I don't want to get ahead of myself. So, okay. uh, okay. And I appreciate your, your pointing that out because I, because part of my, um, my, um, uh, incentive for coming on here today was to address the things that you have discussed over the past and brought to forward over the past few weeks. So this is, you know, um, this is your fault. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway. Responsibility. Okay, good. All right. So um, now there's a little book that I would recommend. It's called Managing the Equity Factor. And it's a really tough book to get a hold of. Um, but uh, it's well worth it if you can. I think you might be able to find it on Amazon. Uh, and, um, and you can sit down and read it in a couple evenings, probably maybe one evening if you're a fast reader. But basically what it's saying is that virtually everything we believe about human nature, what is taught to us by religions, by, by the mainstream media, by our parents, by our teachers is wrong. It's 180 degrees out. Okay. And uh, one of the things is like, for example, let's say you meet somebody new and, you know, I mean, on average, you know, how many people out there uh, have uh, some kind of toxic personality disorder, you know, out of 100, maybe, you know, maybe 20 out of 100, okay, or 10. So chances are pretty good. You meet somebody and they're going to be one of these, you know, warped individuals. And so then let's say, you know, you're hanging out with them and they're in your, maybe they're your neighbor, you moved into a new apartment or whatever. And they fairly early on take some kind of liberty with you, you know, like let themselves into your apartment when you're not there or whatever, you know, uh, borrow something without asking or whatever. Okay. Well, now we are taught that it's good to be tolerant and, uh, you know, forgive 70 times seven and blah, blah, blah. And so we think, well, I'm just going to ignore that, pretend it didn't happen. Or I might mention in passing and, you know, just say, okay, you know, don't let it happen again or whatever. But that is completely the wrong thing because there are these deviant individuals out there who are who what they're doing is they're testing the water. They're trying to find out where your boundaries are so they can push and push and push and eventually completely mentally enslave you, mentally and physically enslave you and financially enslave you. OK, and so there are people that don't have any limits. OK, and so the best way to deal with that person is to blow up in their face immediately, okay? I mean, put the fear of God into them. Make them think that, that you know, you're going to kill them, basically. And, and, and then if they keep doing it after that, you know, then maybe you might want to think about trying a different strategy, okay? So, so um, the, uh, uh, and, and just think about this. If the first time the government said, hey, we want you to hang up, a number plate on your car, you know, uh, if, uh, if that uh, bureaucrat that came out there ended up uh, strung up from a light pole, 
um, and, and the first dozen or so that tried that did it, maybe the government would have never gone down this road to, you know, uh, try to uh, impinge on our rights to travel. Uh, and maybe the first time they tried to put on a property tax. I, I mean, we have we have allowed this by encroachment because we didn't, you know, draw that bright line in the sand and say, cross it and you die. Okay, and now here we are. We are all completely, in, you know, uh, tied up in the chains that we initially put on them with the Constitution. Now we're tied up in all their chains with the codes, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. So, um, and then another thing that book really mentioned is uh, it's not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's do unto them as they would have you do unto them. In other words, uh, not everybody wants what you want. Okay. I mean, look at, uh, look at a drug pusher. Okay. He comes out there and he, you know, parties with the person and he gives them some free drugs. And then after a while, before you know it, uh, they're hooked and he can charge whatever he wants, but he has to prime that pump by giving them what they want, which is his drugs. Okay. He might not even want the drugs. I've known drug peddlers that don't even do the drugs themselves. They just do it for money. So it's not do unto you others as you would have them do unto you. It's do what you, you have to be receptive to what they want. Now there is, um, there is a, um, Thing called Maslow's hierarchy. I don't know how many of you have heard of it, but basically it's a pyramidal shape of different kinds of organizational needs and individual needs. And it starts with the base of the pyramid, which is homeostasis, which is like, a, uh, uh, like, a, you know, food and water and air and stuff like that. And in an organization, it might be like setting up a communications network first. Like if you look at the founding fathers, one of the first things they did is set up a post office, you know, and and try to set up like a, um, a banks so that money can be transmitted around and stuff like that. So uh, and the Pony Express, uh, things like that. So um, so they knew that you got to get this homeostasis down, and then the next level uh, on top of home, once you got that nailed down, then you can start focusing on uh, um, on safety. You got something pretty nice now. You want to secure it, okay? And then the next level would be like uh, public relations, where you got to get the word out about what you got going on. And so far, then way up at the top, you know, you have like aesthetics and then uh, self-actualization. But 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 what but what we're doing is is the government has got this entire this massive propaganda machine of Hollywood and whatnot that gets us all thinking about aesthetics and and this that and the other love and belonging and we all got our priorities all messed up and then there's only a few of us out here who really woken up and like well we should be prepping and we should be you know going out and exercising and we should be uh uh you know trying to fill in the bottom layers of the pyramid well meanwhile they are filling in the bottom layers of the pyramid big time okay they've got massive uh, uh encrypted networks uh, they have security on all their homes and, uh, you know, so they know which side the bread's buttered on and they're trying to make us not recognize what it's buttered on. So, um, the, uh, and for those of you who, um, who are, um, thinking, well, some of this is kind of anti-biblical. I don't, I know we don't run into too many of those people in this particular community, uh, real ultimate ultra pacifists, uh, which is um, people that basically say, oh, well, you shouldn't, you know, that these, 
the powers that be are here for because God put them there and uh, and uh, you let's see if I can bring this up just give me a little grief here but um, there's a really interesting YouTube video out there about how that might be actually a misinterpretation and uh, anyway so uh, Romans 13 the authority and I know probably some of you have, are familiar with this but I'm going to paste this into the chat here if I can get it up and I recommend uh, watching it sometime if you get the chance um, okay here comes the chat there we go okay <clears throat> now back to okay and another part of this book was called stamp collecting and the way this works was it says 404 not found oh maybe i maybe i didn't get it all here let's see oh yeah it's got that bracket there on the end let me take those off that's how my database stores it with brackets there you go there we go okay all right so one of the other parts of this book that's called it said stamp collecting and he made it like for instance you're married it was especially women are especially notorious for doing this and you get married to a woman and you know after 20 30 years of marriage you know every time the guy did something wrong like he you know didn't do the dishes he forgot her birthday he uh you know he um uh you know said something insensitive or whatever it's like she takes a stamp and she puts it like your old S and J green stamps or whatever, S and H green stamps. She takes a stamp and puts it in her book. And every time he does something wrong. And then, you know, after 30 years of marriage, boom, the book is full. Okay. And she explodes on him all at once and says, oh, back in 1961, you did this and da, 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 da. And she's remembered every single horrible thing that he's ever done. Okay. That is not healthy. That's not what you want to do. That's what the government is doing to us, okay? Because I believe, for example, that when you get a traffic ticket and you appear in court and you don't demand the original ticket back, well, they just throw that the commercial value of that out onto the national debt, okay? And it can circulate around and be used for zinging people for a long time. And and I have quite a bit of uh, personal experience that, that uh, proves to me that it is a negotiable instrument. And so, um, so uh, what the government's doing is they're building up this giant, giant, giant debt, and then one day that that's going to come due, and none of us will be able to, you know, overcome this giant fictional debt. So, I mean, there's a few of us that you know that uh, understand how the Federal Reserve works. But you see, there's another movie uh, uh, you guys should check out. It's called the um, Sand Pebbles. And uh, uh, it was about this um, this uh, uh, gunboat that was in China, and um, there was this um, this uh, like a, a church or some kind of a rescue mission in the middle of deep in China, and it was when the communists were coming to power, and the guy who was running this church had gone to the local authorities and he got a little letter saying that you know as this communist transition was happening that they wouldn't touch him and his group okay that they were safe that they had a pass okay and at some point the chaos just you know starts the whole country starts coming unraveled 
and the communist soldiers show up and the guy says look look i've got a pass you you're, you're not supposed to be here you know you're not supposed to be doing this and they just shoot him right through the paper and kill him and so this is where we're at is that is that you know we can think that we've done all our paperwork right and we've got a pass and we're fine but as this society continues to disintegrate that thing is not going to be worth the paper it's worth on written on it's, it doesn't stop bullets okay that's why we have to think in bigger terms about how to correct the situation, okay, and how to save, if not everyone, at least everyone who isn't these hardcore Bolsheviks, you know, that can't be converted, okay. And so there's a, there's a, uh, uh, a saying, I can't remember who said it, but it's a, a half-baked, rapidly, and, uh, and half-baked, rapidly and uh, vigilantly executed plan is better than a perfect one that's lackadaisically executed. So, um, you know, that's another thing is we need to just, and there's, and there's a book called The One Minute Millionaire where they said it's far better to, to make up your mind quickly and change it slowly than to, to change, to make it up slowly and change it quickly. You know, in other words, we need to pick something and stick with it and push it, you know, through as hard and fast as we can and not change it until we absolutely know that it's, you know, just not going to work. So now um, there was a, 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 a military general named um, Karl von Clausewitz, and he wrote, he was the one who was largely responsible for defeating uh, Napoleon at Waterloo. And he said that all politics is ultimately a war over the mind of the military man. So uh, we need to be thinking about keeping an eye on where, where, you know, what is our focus? Our focus needs to be on the military and the police and with our public relations efforts largely to, to, uh, to, to you know, wake them up and, uh, like for example, uh, in Tunisia, when they had their um, their revolution here uh, a while back, uh, the military went out to crack down on the protesters, and instead uh, they put down their guns and their helmets and joined the protesters. And Ben Ali, their president, ended up jetting out of there because uh, he knew his time was done. So, and we and here's the thing: is we have there's another technology that's coming online. That's going to, that for the first time in history, that's going to nullify this principle, and that is when they have perfected and widely deployed autonomous killer robots and drones. When that happens, and it is happening fast, when that happens, they will not give a crap about what the cops or the military think anymore. Okay, because they they will be taken out of the loop. So, and I don't know if you guys have seen the videos on that, you know, where they can. For you know, literally a, a few bucks a piece, they can make these little drones that have a little shape charge in them, and they can drop them out of the back of airplanes by the millions, and they'll hunt down and kill people in mass. So, um, anyway, I think it's just it's time to get out of our uh, comfort zone and start thinking outside the box. Um, there's um, a really neat. Hmm? We've got another person with their hand up. Okay, uh, I'm almost done. 
So okay. um, if they can hold on for a little while. Um, right. I think that we're too nice. And I think that we need to be thinking about um, that we need there there's a really great little movie called never back down it's kind of a teenage coming of age movie <clears throat> it's actually uh it's the first movie and then there's a sequel but the but the but it's got a really good message i won't really tell you what it means you should go watch it but the, both of them are actually really important the first one is all about you have to win you cannot contemplate losing okay uh, we have to do whatever it takes to win. I do not have any kids, but you know, those of you out there, you need to look into the eyes of your children and your grandchildren, and you need to say, what would you not do to win this? Because because losing is, yeah, I mean, I, I just have a pretty good idea what these people are about, and losing, you don't want to be thinking about that. It, it's it's not even an option. And then what's important with this movie is that that you have to understand there's a fundamental difference between us and them in that they, to them, war is a is the means and the end, okay? And to us, war is the means to an end. In other words, we are we have to know that when when this conflagration is over, we can come back and be decent people again. We have to have faith in that because our motivation is different than theirs, okay? And so, um, uh, because, and, and you know, uh, the art of law uh, over the many, many years that I've done law, it's ultimately always come down to engage the enemy in court and then find a way for, they, they will then basically try to write the rules as you engage them and then you turn around and use their own rules back against them. And they'll pretty much be, shifting and changing and whatever and you know ultimately it, it it comes down to just like randy was saying it's it's basically well we win because you know we're sitting on top of the tank and you're down there on the ground and i've got the barrel of the gun pointed at you that's like okay fine but you know what at least now the the velvet glove is off the iron fist and now we all know what the score is okay so and you know the uh sit down and read uh the uh, Hamlet uh, speech, uh, to be or not to be sometime. Just read it and burn it into your brain because that's what it really boils down to. And um, so then what I come down to ultimately uh, is what we call a committee of vigilance. And a committee of vigilance is kind of like taking, going back to an even more primitive version of the what some call the drill societies. Um, I think that we were doing when we were doing the Republic, we were just, you know, we were, we were getting too complicated, too big, too administrative, uh, too much overhead. And it needs to be simplified down to much simpler things. Now, H.H. Bancroft wrote two big, thick books about vigilance committees here in California uh, called Popular Tribunals, Volume One and Two. And I think you can find both of them, if not one, if not both of them online. In the 1850s in San Francisco, uh, uh, two separate vigilance committees formed. They had 2,000 armed men, including uh, field artillery. They literally laid siege to, okay, because they had so much ballot box stuffing. They had French salesmen, 
In other words, mom running around saying, buy our fire insurance or we'll burn your business or home down. You're cutting out. Basic. Oh, sorry. Uh, I don't know why. Let me uh, try to adjust something here. How's that? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So they had uh, they had uh, fire insurance salesmen. They had ballot box stuffers. And they had what they call shoulder strikers. And shoulder strikers were guys that would go shake down people for money to contribute to their particular political uh, candidates, uh, bosses, or whatever. Well, uh, basically, the shoulder strikers are the cops right now. Okay, they're shaking you down to con to to basically put in money into the system. And we know that even though we have two parties, it's basically monolithic. It's two faces on the same party, the same authoritarian party. Okay, so they match that, uh, and and so. What H.H. Bancroft said, and the, the vigilance committees cleaned up San Francisco to a large degree, not once, but twice, okay? And what H.H. Bancroft said is, it was the greatest exhibition of civil righteousness without subversion of the law that the world has ever seen. And I got that from a uh, book by uh, Henry Steele Cominger called The Documents of American History, and in there, he said, generally, historians agree with Bancroft. Okay, that is because, like I said, we are above the constitutions. We're not underneath it. Okay, that we put their government administrators under it. And it's really important to always keep in mind that we are the government. They are the government administrators. Okay, and so when you say, oh, I'm complaining about the government. No, don't complain about the government. That's us. Okay. Now, there's a maxim that says, he who commands lawfully must be obeyed. Um, quite often in the 1850s, the sheriffs would grab perpetrators and they would bring them to the vigilance committees for trial and punishment because the, um, because the courts were so corrupt. Sometimes the courts would, would grab a guy and the, the sheriff would grab a guy if he did take him to the courts the court maybe just slapped the guy on the wrist because he was a secret society member or something and then after that the vigilance committees would grab him try him again and hang him so like i said and, and none of the people that were involved in the vigilance committees were ever prosecuted or held accountable in any way um there is a techniques that you can use to get people to join organizations like this in mass for instance, like if you have a, you want to get investors into a company, what you can do is you go to your various people that want to invest and say, well, if I had a company with one million dollars of uh, funding, would you be in for a hundred thousand? And if you can get like ten people to all commit to that, then you've got them all committed, and then they all jump in the pool at the same time. So you could go to in your community and say, if we had a, if we could form an organization of a thousand, you know, armed men to uh, really make a change for the better in our community to eliminate crime and whatnot, would you be in? And if you then once you got all thousand committed, then they all could jump in. Um, now, first, what these vigilance committees need, and, and especially in today's day and age, is what we call a star chamber. And a star chamber is basically like a gang. It's a secret group that meets and they they may do surveillance on the potential threats. Uh, they keep their ear to the ground. They find out who are the 
you know, the people, the groups that might be trying to target the, you know, the leaders of the vigilance committee who are going to be the problem. And then they find ways to neutralize them by, you know, maybe exposing that they like little girls or what have you. They're, they're going in, they're looking for these key people that are, because basically the game has to be played both ways because you can bet the other side is doing that too. They're thoroughly surveilling anybody who would be trying to establish one of these organizations. And um, the, the uh, uh, so in the Vigilance Committee of San Francisco, it had a seal and a motto and uh, this they basically said um, it had the maxim, uh, uh, though the heavens may fall, let justice be done. And it said something like uh, no political, sectional, or uh, creed issues. In other words, they were all about justice, and that was it. And you know, it's really important that we get back to basic justice because it makes people crazy. I mean, we have a huge mental health problem in this country, and a lot of it is because there is no justice. And, you know, why I look at it is, is if the government's not doing justice, it has almost no business doing just about anything else, maybe defense of the national boundaries, but that's about it. You know, and we got all, they've got their fingers into just about everything, but you walk into court and, you know, I mean, everybody knows it's a joke. So anyway, that's just kind of the thing that, um, that I wanted to put out there is to to start shifting our mindset and start looking at uh, you know applying business well-established business startup formation principles to organizing and working smarter instead of harder and uh, streamlining our our basic everyday experiences and and you know trying to get people focused in the same direction of something that it can be done openly and notoriously, and even then the bad guys can't stop it. I mean, we're talking about drug dealers and child traffickers here. They have moms, you know, taking people out to get what they want. I mean, the people that are basically running this country murdered a president in broad daylight and got away with it, okay? So we have to understand and accept that this is what we're dealing with. And we are going to have to start thinking way outside the box and just get out of our everyday little rut of, oh, I'm studying this law and that law and whatnot. You know, this is the, this is the psychological trap that they painted for us. And, I mean, I, patriots have fought a long and hard for a long time. And yet, really, I think that the free state people with just getting that one law passed that says you can inform your jury to nullify, they probably accomplished more than most all the rest of us have in decades. So, you know, just by coming up with a, an idea and pushing it. Anyway, so yeah, go ahead and give, you, give me your questions. Okay, one second. 951, you've been unmuted. Hi. Hi, Angela. Hi, Dallas. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I've been holding it for a while, so. <laughs> Sorry about I, that. Uh, Oh, that's okay. You know, it's been interesting. And, but I haven't been on the whole call. Okay, I, something I have to do for temporarily during the body of the call. I kind of heard the, kind of the very beginning where you talk a little bit about your background, a few things there. And at the very end, when you start talking about the Republican form of government, I kind of came in there, but I didn't hear anything in the middle. Um, and, uh, but there's, a, there's just a couple of, and I know it's 
late. Angela needs to get going and take care of her son, so I want to make this quick. Um, and um, uh, a couple of things I just want to comment on and ask, okay, and just really quick. <clears throat> and the last, the last thing at the end when you're talking about, you know, the Republican form of government, I, yeah, I hear a lot of people say that. And, and I'm just wondering why they say it's a Republican form of government when it's actually a Republic form of government. That was a question that was asked of Benjamin Franklin when we got out of the Constitution, Constitution Convention. Some of the colonists said, hey, what kind of government are you going to give us? He said, a Republic, if you can keep it. But he didn't say Republican, because that's the opposite of Democrat. A Republic well, is the opposite of democracy. Yeah, but so the Republicans I why people say came Republican along later. Form of government instead of Republic. Well, it's, I, I think it depends. If you're talking about it as a noun, then you would say it's a republic. But if you're talking about it like a, a, I'm not an English expert, but like an adjective, you would say it's a Republican form of government. It has nothing to do with the Republican Party. Okay. So, right, so would you say the, the opposite is a Democrat form of government? If well, that's a Republican form of government? Okay. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. What we have, what I mean, the only one that I saw that said republic form of government, what kind of government it is, was Benjamin Franklin. He said republic, well, if you can keep it. Right. Well, the, the, the important know? part and on here the, is... on the California flag, it says California Republic. It doesn't say right. California Republican. Well, okay. And also, yeah. and that's a form of government. So that, I, I just thought I'd make a comment on that. I hear people say that all the time, and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and because I guess we're just so inundated with Republicans and Democrats that it just comes out that way. You know? Yeah, um, and maybe we maybe you brought up a good point. Maybe we need to invent a new term, like a uh, like a citizen controlled form of government or something like that. You know, where uh, people because, have attempted to do that in the past. I knew a right. woman by the name of Elizabeth Broderick who attempted to do that, and she got arrested. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah, that that's the thing, and and so, uh, but but yeah, so what we technically what I've heard. And I read the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist and Madison's notes and you know a whole bunch of stuff the framers wrote, and they and basically we have a republic with democratic representation. In other words, we yes. elect the people exactly. to go there, but their hands are basically tied. Once they're there, they can't they can't do things to undermine our ability to keep them in control. Right. Like for instance, we're the republic. A, they are the de democracy in Washington D.C. They don't have a republic there. They have democracy there. And we're the ones with the republic. Because we, like you said, we're the government. They're not. And we send our representatives to oversee the governed, who are the government agencies over there. They're the government, not us. And, uh, uh, but yeah, my other question I had, okay? Let me make this quick here. So at the beginning, I was just kind of listening in now and then because there's something I have to do and I have to get off the call. But I heard you mention a name that I'm familiar with. And you said that something about Ron Lutz and you got arrested uh, with side drafts and stuff. Did you know Ron Lutz? Yeah, I did. I went to his, uh, I went to his meeting, one of his seminars down out there. Out in Huntington in Beach? Huntington Beach, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, the meeting that he had out there. There's Robbie right. and Butch and all the other guys there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, did, to to I only went too. a couple times. You know, I didn't. I, I I went to one of the seminars, and I think I maybe went to a couple of the you know evening meetings that they had. Yeah, I, I was so. going to them every time he had one, and uh, and that's where I learned about a lot of the commercial process, and uh, I, I was and I was going through the court here in Riverside mm -hmm. County at that time, and I got arrested from hearing some things that that 
to do. And I went to them and I said, hey, look, you know, you guys, they called me Mr. Traverse, along with a guy who actually had the office there who was a realtor, you know, because he had some problems in the court too. But, um, yeah, Winston Shrout was there as well. And, uh, um, and you're probably towards the end of it. I think I was, yeah. I think I, I came in, I think I went about 99 is when I went to the meetings there. Yeah, it was 1999. Um, yeah, yeah. that's when I was going through the court system in 1999, and I was mm-hmm. learning as much as I could because Ron Lutz supposedly was the one who was supposed to know, you know, so mm-hmm. much about it because he knew Roger Elwick and all the other guys, and you know, and uh, yeah. and then Robbie, the young guy, started teaching, and uh, he knew a lot about it, um, right. and that was the guy who was standing at the door, the big guard guy, the big huge guy, yeah. and Robbie was his son, uh, yeah. but. Uh, but yeah, that was yeah. I was going there, and I and yeah. And what he did was he didn't really get arrested for side drafts. Mm-hmm. He was going down to uh, to another state to buy cars with bills of exchange. Okay, but right. they thought he was going with side drafts, and they arrested him. But they could never find a side draft, and they uh-huh. kept him as a political prisoner. And I think he's still in there because he's a troublemaker. He won't quit. Right. Right. And. Uh, and uh, he just, yeah, he got arrested because of side drafts, because of uh, bills of exchange. Bills of exchange, yeah. That's oh, uh, well, well, you know, the problem with commerce is, okay, ultimately you're going to have to be able to sell whatever you're doing to a jury of average IQ people that don't know any yeah. law, okay? And I went and through so, that. And so when I did the negotiable instruments revolution, I tried to simplify it down as much as pro- as possible, okay. But even then, I mean, I'm since the Patriot Act and the rendition and whatnot, I've kind of backed off from the whole commerce thing. Even though uh, virtually every part of the process that I proposed has been put in place and worked, okay. But uh, but I just got to the point where you know they could just come in and grab you and make you disappear. And, uh, you know, and tell everybody in your household, hey, if you say anything, we'll make you disappear, too. Okay. And so (laughs) when you get down to that point, uh, you know, I mean, what's left? I mean, really. So I I just try to. I mean, you mentioned Romans 13. Right. One of the judges there in Riverside County mentioned that because I wasn't cooperating. I was I was giving them the hardest time, <laughs> and uh, and and uh, and actually I, the judge that they sent me to was after the uh, commissioner uh, who uh, he sent me there when uh, I went in and he's and he said I understand you won't stipulate I said stipulate for what he said to for pro tem I said why can't why, why would I make you a temporary judge when you can't be a real one so he sent me to see the judge and the judge talked to me about Romans 13 and how I read the good book, and how I need to be, be authority. I said, well, who made you authority? You know, right. <laughs> we're, we're going through it. But, but yeah, right. I, uh, I heard you talking about that. I went through that, a lot of that stuff. Well, and, one of the but that was back in 1999. Yeah, one of the most impressive things that I heard on one of these Patriot talk shows uh, was uh, there was a guy, and I, somebody in the audience can, you know, that's listening can probably tell me exactly who, but uh, he had this son... And he was his son's friend had gotten a traffic ticket, and right at the last minute, as they're going into court, the the the, the son called his dad and said, "Hey, my buddy's got a traffic ticket. What can he do? You know, we're on our way into court." And the dad said, "Okay, just listen real quick. Just say these. Have him say these things. Have him say, for the record, uh, I don't recognize you. I don't consent to your procedures. I don't play. For the record, and just keep repeating that. 
And so the guy he told his friend, they went into court, he said that, they arrested the kid, they dragged him out into the back of the courtroom, and his, the, the son comes out, and he gets in his car, and he's driving home, and he's calling his dad, said, you never believe what happened, they just arrested him right in the middle of the courtroom. And he says, he says, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm driving home, I don't know what to do. And he said, uh, go ahead, turn around, go back. And right then, his call waiting beeped in, he said, hang on a minute. And he picked that up the other line, and it was his friend. They just shoved him right out the back door of the courthouse. He was around back. They didn't want anyone to hear anything. No, they didn't. Yeah. And they, and, but you see, that's it. It's like like 99% of what the government does, this, this fake corporate government does, is they try to get you to recognize them as the government. I mean, that's like 99% yeah, and that's how they the get battle. jurisdiction. That's yeah, how they get because, jurisdiction. Yeah. because once they got you like that, then you're on their ship. You know, they bring in this whole admiralty crap. And, uh, and and by the way, you know, it's a really interesting to read the admiralty procedure because you can really recognize what's going on in there. I just got done reading about 2,000 pages of admiralty, and uh, oh. uh, and boy, I, I, it really matches. You know, it, it's a it's an administrative law. It's a, it's literally a procedural process. Okay, uh, among peers, essentially. Um, it's a it's customs and traditions. It's not really necessarily law. It's like the UCC. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an actual chess game that they play in that little courtroom. It's like a chessboard. Right. That's all. Right. It's a game they play. And if you know how to play the game, you can win. If you don't know how to play the you, game, you can if they are willing to play by the rules. But well, they never play by the rules. Well, they never play by the rules. Every time you go in, if you, you know, they lied like about me to arrest me, they never play by the rules. It's like you, you show just have up to know to, how to how to how to just got to know how to make them obey their own rules. Right. Well, but first you got to get them to commit to what the rule, what game they're playing. Okay. And then you try to switch it around and make those same rules apply to you. And it's like, hold on, why did it work here two weeks ago? Now it's not working for me. It worked for you. It's not working oh, yeah. for me because basically their 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 one thing that they're supposed to do is equality. Okay. But then they, you know, they're always a, a obscuring that but you know the thing is like yeah. i said it's only because we do not stand up i mean i'm seeing um and i wish i could have had that link for tonight's show a friend of mine found a link where the local authority when the cops asked for a raise or something and the local community just said no you're all fired we don't need you anymore and they just <laughs> decided to, to take up and do uh and just do their own uh like uh, a security force and, and you, you can imagine okay let's say it takes a uh, for a small town, a thousand uh, man hours a month to do the police force. But if you got like, let's say you got uh, 10,000 able-bodied men in the town. Well, so can each able-bodied man commit to one hour or maybe two hours a month to, do, to be a volunteer policeman and run around and make sure nobody's busting windows or shaking anybody down? Yeah, and then so, okay, we've, we've more than enough got all the local cops hours covered. Let's fire them. Next time they go for a raise, perfect time to say, you're all fired. Because you can't have a police okay. state without Let, Let's do that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to listen to your your uh, talk because I didn't get to hear it, so I could hear exactly okay. you know what you talked about in the recording. And uh, right. Angela, thank you very much. You're welcome, Thanks. Dallas. And um, let me ask you one thing, Kevin. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, Dirt Wolf asked, he, he, he said, um, there's a new law in California that says you can't charge more for storage, etc., than the traffic fine. He wanted oh. me to ask, do you know about that law? I do not know about that law, but I do have a couple of 
quickies that I can throw out there for the whole towing vehicles thing. First off, there's a, um, a section of the Magna Carta that says you, the Crown agents, Crown officers cannot take somebody's horse in their cart, okay? There's a case called Crocker versus Justices that uh, is from Pennsylvania uh, that said that the, the pilgrims, when they came over here from England, they brought their common law with them. They intended to bring their common law, okay? And uh, it's thoroughly cemented into our law, underpinning all of our law, except for in Louisiana. Um, but all the rest of the states, it's all, it's in there. So, so basically that is the, just about the paramount law. And another thing is in California, at least, this is another good reason why it's good to have your car, like at least recorded with the count with the DMV, because see, there's two parts of the, of the, of the car registration with the DMV. There's recording of the title, which is called transfer only in California. And then there's registration, which is basically, you know, giving them the authority or, or basically saying you're going to use it in commerce for, you know, for profit. So, um, but if you have it at least, I believe, recorded uh, with them, then they will send you out a notice of stored vehicle um, when they seize your car. And then, so it's good to do the transfer only, and it only costs like $15 or something. At least get it into your name. It's like recording down at the county recorder's office or something. It just gets it so they know who owns it. And then, um, and then all you got to do is check a box on that notice of stored vehicle and send it back to the DMV and the DMV will not let the tow company take title by lien sale. Now the tow company has to sue you to get the title. Okay, so they got a problem. Now, another thing in California is we uh, uh, auctioneers, are which they have to auction the car in order to do their lien sale, auctioneers are required to have a bond. Okay, and um, if they do not, if you find somebody started threatening to auction someone something, you can sue them in small claims court, compel them to get a bond, and you get a $1,000 bounty for doing it, okay? Then when that auctioneer goes to, to, uh, to auction your car, you can present him with all the, the law that shows that it's illegal, and if he threatens to continue to do that, then you can do a notice of default to the surety of the bond, and you can present a claim to the bond and surety should step in and stop all this nonsense. Okay. So, and that's another thing we could, I'm still studying bonds, but uh, we could, uh, we could maybe have another show about that sometime because I'm really getting heavy into the bonds. And I think that is really a very powerful remedy that was, uh, you know, our forefathers established for us and, and we should definitely be trying to assert as much there as possible. Um, and the, uh, so let's see about the storage. I think that's pretty much it that I have on the storage. I've gotten a number of cars back just by confronting the tow companies and the demanding the car back. And, uh, you know, if the law is all laid out properly, uh, they'll usually capitulate because they're the low hanging fruit in this whole equation, not the cops. Well, wow, we've gone over the two hours. We almost gone to three. <laughs> and it's very enlightening. Uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing all your information. We should do it again. Like you said, you have other topics, it sounds like, to cover. Yeah, and I could. It's very interesting. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, everybody. Do you have a website or anywhere? Uh, well, you can, um, you can get a hold of me on Facebook. Um, it's just 
facebook.com slash kevin.a.haddock. Um, that's one. Or you can uh, send me an uh, email to my uh, email address, which is uh, support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T, at vigilancetech.com, V-I-G-I-L-A-N-C-E, T-E-C-H dot com. Okay, I just put it in the chat. All right. There you go. So, I anyway, and right? I, I would encourage, yeah, <laughs> and I would encourage everybody to get out there at least uh, maybe, I, I talk a little bit more about my history and um, my reasoning of how I kind of arrived at where I am with my negotiable instruments revolution um, lectures. And then I actually did have a Yahoo group, negotiable instruments revolution, NI revolution on Yahoo. And mm. it's not very active. I don't even really check it. It kind of got completely inundated with commercial redemptionists. And, and that really wasn't the process that I was pushing. But at the time, it was so popular. And they were pushing it so hard that they just kind of all took it over and co-opted it. So if you go back through the archives there and say and say and look at what I posted and look at what the responses to what I posted, you can get a lot of good information. That's I mean I'm not saying that some of the commercial redemption stuff was good, but it's a it's a com coming from a completely opposite side of the farm, and and I found early on that I could completely steal secured property all day long with negotiable instruments. So I felt like the secured property law, which is what the commercial redemption is based on, was really an inferior law form. So I just kind of like chucked it and didn't even think about it anymore after that. So. Yeah, well, we'll have to continue uh, uh, doing another call, hopefully uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah. How's your schedule look? Uh, I'm probably pretty booked up for like a couple of months. But okay. we can stay in touch. And uh, maybe maybe I'll get a break and we can do it. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Everybody, thank you. Have, thank you. Everybody have a great weekend. Um, take care of each other. I love you. And we'll see you next time. Good night. Night.